Hello, and welcome back once again to the TetraCast. This is RPG Sites' weekly podcast where we get the site staff together to talk about our favorite genre of video games. We've got most of the usual crew here today. My name is Brian Vitale. Joining me, I have Josh Torres. Hi, hello. Welcome back, Adam Vitale. Hello. James Galizio. 120 hours wasted. And Chow Min Wu. Savage is fun. George is in the middle of moving, and I empathize because I was just there a few months ago. So hopefully we'll see him uh, next week to talk about his wonderful time with Guardians of the Galaxy, the biggest RPG release of the week. There is no competition, is no hmm. other game released this week okay. that we have All any right. interest in. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, uh, so I guess, I guess there's a preliminary apology uh, this week yeah, because we don't have George on for the Guardians talk because no one else has played Guardians except him here. <laughs> So this week was kind of like uh, a week we were looking forward to because we had a a handful of games that I think we outlined in the last podcast that were all releasing within a few days of each other. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy was one of them. You know, it's got I have obviously no one here has played it but George. That's why we're lamenting his absence. Uh, But it seems to have decent word of mouth. And I am interested to uh, to see what his thoughts are on it. He does have a review up on the site, which we'll get into later. Uh, Also released this week was Undernaught's Labyrinth and Yomi of Yomi. I don't remember what the title is, but uh, we were we were planning to having one of our staff members look at that, but it had a very a very late PC delay, so oh, just some shenanigans there prevented that from being looked at. Uh, we have another staff member looking at Voice of Cards, the Yoko Taro project with Square Enix. That is something that we'll be looking forward to. So finally, we get to the last one on the list, and that is, of course, uh, Super Robot Wars Thirty. So we've Low talked priority. about this. Yes. No, I was yep. just, uh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was just getting the other three out of the way because there's <laughs> different excuses that we have for all of those. <laughs> We're not going to be talking about any of them for different reasons. Uh, but we will be talking about Super Robot Wars 30 because it did release without major issue. And we did have actually someone here who has played it. And that is uh, you. you. <laughs> So I just get a Monopoly episode. Sweet. Awesome. I could everything's been shoved out of the way for for the one important game of the week. Um yeah, I've been looking forward to this new Super Bowl War surprise uh for many months. I have logged mm, almost 40 hours at this point in the game. Wait, remind um, me when this game released. <laughs> uh it released on third technically Thursday. But then my digital unlock on console really was unlocked Wednesday morning. So we're like about two to three days in. Yeah, we're recording um, this on mid-Saturday for those listening. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, I don't know. It's hard to... I don't even know how far I am in, to be honest. <laughs> I have no idea if I'm like, am I almost halfway? Am I halfway? I'm not sure. Um, so, you know, for people who don't know, Super Bowl War is a very long-running series. The, the 30 in its name is not because it's the 30th game in the series. It's, the, it's, a, it's on 30 because it's the, thir- the series' 30th anniversary. And um, to celebrate, it's like the first Super Bowl Wars game with licensed IPs like Gundam, Mazinger, Getarobo, and like a more recent anime like Gridman. Um, Gundam narrative and whatnot, like it has all those licensed shows. Uh, this is the first one of those that got released globally all over the world. It's not just a Southeast Asia exclusive deal with the English versions, the, the, but the caveat is it's only uh, available 
outside of Southeast Asia and Japan on just Steam only for, for the West, essentially. Um, which is fine. You know, a, a lot of people seem to uh, enjoy, you know, it's been out for a few days now and it's gotten really, really, really great like reviews on Steam and also just a, a, lot, of, a lot of places have been strangely sell, selling out of keys for this game as well. So I really wonder what the sales numbers are going to gonna be for this game once the, you know, dust settles but and i i don't know how much importance to put on this but uh, we were comparing because they released very close to each other guardians of the galaxy versus super robot wars 30 on steam and guardians of the galaxy peaked at under 10k consecutive players or concurrent players and super robot wars is at 16k so there math tells us that Mm -hmm. super robot wars 30 is doing better than guardians of the galaxy totally totally no room for interpretation there yeah, that's not because the SRW 30 is only exclusive on Steam in the West, you know, for easy, you know, buying. These, but, these are unneeded details. Yep, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's true. And all, but also the the Famitsu says another story about put few points less on SRW than Guardians and their weird. Oh, and, and they're the arbiters. They, what they say it's, it's is true. Bad. Yeah, you know, everyone trusts Famitsu, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, the, this game is a very, very different in structure to previous SRW games. It's using, um, like a choose your own adventure nonlinear structure, uh, which hasn't been in the series since like, man, uh, I don't even know. MX was like on PSP and I, maybe PS2 also, I think. Um, Impact was before that. Like, th- there's only been very, very few games in the uh, series which has done this non-linear structure where they give you a list of missions and then there are uh, let's say there's like 10 missions on the list and then each of the missions like will either give you like a, a new robot and character that joins your party um or it could give like a one of your robots like uh, a new skill or attack or just like you know or something like a like a like a nice like you know goofy story behind it and whatnot while and like what two of those missions on that uh on that list of 10 is like started those are like the main important missions to progress so if you just want to mainline the story as fast as you can you can just go for those as well um but uh unlike in most other srw games where it's just like a linear path where you're going from stage to stage to stage to stage and then occasionally you'll have like a split branching path of like hey do you want to go um take your uh crew to space or you want to stay on earth and whatnot and then you have like a branching path in that linear like n- structure but then like it'll be like a list of like three stages in that path and then they'll all come together again um uh, so it's a, it's this, just a major this is a weird comparison but when you the way you describe this the game that comes to my mind uh let me know if this is a valid comparison or not is valkyria chronicles 2 because it had okay. a lot of that like mission based sort of like here is the primary objective, but then you have all of these side objectives where you revisit old maps or you 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 go through with special conditions. And I'm sure there's a lot of other similarly comparable games. Uh, it, kind of, but but all the other but the like the these other ones like they're technically side missions, but they're all like unique. Like they all have different stuff going on. You're not like revisiting stages. Oh, on okay. it. There, there, yeah, there, there is content in the game where like you do like. Uh, I guess I'll, I'll I'll explain that when I like, get to it, but the, there is there is some like generic stages so to speak, but I'll I'll get to that. Um, 
So, you know, in this game, it's very much like if you're into strategy RPGs, like you you'll like it. Um, uh, when I like when I compare it, like it's like it's not so much a Fire Emblem. Um, but the, the people who like yeah, have that as a main focal point, it's much more um, like systems heavy in the sense that like you have more considerations. You don't, you don't have like a weapon triangle. You have like um, class uh, categories of robots and what and what they're what they can do. So like let's say it's like Final Fantasy Tactics. A little bit, yeah. I feel so, like, like we it, gotta we gotta improve our vocabulary. Whenever we talk about strategy games, the two games we bring up are Fantasy Tactics or Fire Emblem. It's, is it more of one or clear, more? Of the other? I was joking. <laughs> I know. Maybe what we gotta do is start comparing yeah. games to Super Robot Wars. Well, maybe what we can what we should do is to get some of you other guys to play Utuada Drumono. So I'm not the only one on the site that's played them. Uh, I'd rather maybe. play. Hey, Super I have Wars. played. I have played mm. Other Side, I have played Fate Tactics, I have played Summon Knight, and I have played oh, look, look, look at this God guy. Wars. So I've, I'm pretty good. I've played a shit I played a shitload of strategy RPGs, and it's like one of those things that's like it's just Super Robot Wars is hard to describe because it uses such a weird like system that like it isn't really comparable to like a lot of other strategy RPGs. So like for example, like the classifications of its uh robots. Let's like take like Gundam and Mazinger, for example, like these are two very old series, but they're very recognizable. Gundam uses like, like actual like ammo based weapons. Like you know, it has laser weapons as well, like beam rifles and whatnot. Like sometimes, like like it has like a hyper bazooka and that'll take ammo and whatnot. So like these more smaller robots that are like you know like not necessarily like our size, but like you know somewhat bigger. And more nimble compared to like other series like Mazinger, which are like huge and bulky. Like those are are, are classified as real robots in, in that uh, series. And um, things like Mazinger, who use like energy that's like kind of like you know like it has like it's like magic almost where you just there's no rhyme or reason behind like like photon energy that Mazinger uses. It's kind of just like it shoots out beams of energy. Those are and uh, those are called like super robots. And whatnot, because they're bigger, they're bulkier, they're, they have more armor and whatnot. So that's kind of like the, the the main two categories of robots that you've always had in Super Robot Wars. Is are the is this a real robot or are they a super robot? And super robot are, are super robots like don't dodge well, but are more tankier because of their armor. While like real robots have less armor, so if they get hit, it'll hurt, but they have more evasion. Uh, and are more so mobile. I, I need a, I need a, I need a grounding point like. Okay. Okay. The, the, cla- the classic Amaro Gundam. There's the Gundam. Okay. What, what, what yes, type of robot is that? That that is a real robot because it actually okay. uses like like ammo for its weaponry. Like like your beam rifle shots, like they take up ammo or like you know, like you only have a certain amount of shots or like your hyper bazooka, you only have a certain amount of shots. So usually they are more ammo based, but the the, the real thing that um, separates them is like they're they they have less armor, but they're more mobile. While like things like Mazinger and Getter Robo, they're like big, they're like bigger, uh, and like use a lot of like energy based weapons that are kind of like magic almost. Like there's like no rhyme and reason. It's just like yeah, they're spewing like cool stuff that makes the enemies go blow up. You know, like just like in your typical fucking really old shows from your, your childhood. Um, what's that show? What's that show where the robots surf? Um, Eureka Seven. Yeah. Well, okay. What are, what are those? 
I'm oh my like, god! I think I think they're classified as real robots, if I remember right, because they're more nimble, more agile. Uh, they're so not what I'm taking that. away from this is that Gundams are real. Yes, yes, okay. Gundams are real. I mean, you, you've seen they have like a statue of the Gundam, like life size in Japan. So yes, it, it'll real. activate when 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 they made it walk. Hits <laughs> made it walk. So yes, <laughs> they're real. <laughs> um, and then e- each of these. Um, Robots in the game, they have like two main classifications of attack, which are ranged attacks or melee attacks and whatnot. So that that's pretty self-explanatory to this self. And then you get into the, the nitty-gritty gritty of like so when they try to combine shows from different IPs, they kinda have to consider like what are their like in-series, in-universe traits and how do we translate that into like the universal SRW system. So let's say like um let's say Gundam Iron Blooded Orphans, for example. Like in that world, the armor on the on like mobile suits in them, they're very resistant to beams. Like if you try to fire a beam rifle at them, it'll do nothing to the armor. I forgot what the technology was called. It's like nano laminate armor, I think. But um how that would translate in like SRW obviously is like, okay, so they're more resistant to beams. So like if you try to shoot beam weaponry at them, like a Gundam like a beam rifle at them. Like it'll do severely reduced damage, so that's how they would like portray it in there. Um, so they have like barriers and stuff um, that are just kind of like innate to that to those kinds of mobile suits because that's how it's represented in the series and whatnot. So you have all those other things to consider um, in this in this you know RPG series and whatnot. And like you know, it's not like so punishing that like oh shit, I I like didn't consider this. I'm immediately dead. It's not like that. It can be if you like if you if you don't really take the hints, but you know. Um, so and, and in this game, the one of the big changes as well, um, aside from just its structure, uh, this nonlinear structure is they don't have the SR point or the super robot point system in this game, which was very prevalent in like the entire series. And these are a series of like challenge objectives. Um, in like stages that you would encounter so let's say they go to the stage there's like a bunch of like enemies let's say there's like you know 25 to 30 enemies and like the sr point for that stage or sr objective would be uh defeat this entire map in five turns and whatnot um and then if you beat that you get an sr point um but if you don't then you don't and what that would do is it would dictate like your difficulty in the game whether like it would like say you accrue like seven SR points in a row uh, very early on. That'll bump you up to hard mode for the game. And it was valuable accruing these if you wanted to because like, there would usually be like a true ending to these games and be like, oh, to access this true ending, you need to have like these certain prerequisites of like, you need to have like done these events in certain stages and certain characters, plus you need to have an SR point of this much to access the true ending route. When the and like it'll present you a choice and what not to go embark on that, but they they've scrapped it for here, so there's no SR points at any stages at SRW thirty. So you're for main stages, you're you can kind of go about it the way you want. You're not so much pressured to like, oh shit, I have to, you know, think about how am I going to clear this map efficiently if I'm on a time limit or if I have to like beat this enemy at a certain HP threshold before it retreats and whatnot because that could be an objective, but that it doesn't have that in this game. Um, instead, what you have for these, instead of challenge objectives, you have these um, 
other missions to the side called relic missions. And these could be called like Relic of Blade, Relic of the Shot, Relic of Aegis, and whatnot. And they're basically like mini challenge stages. So let's say like um Relic of the Relic of Steel. Um you can only deploy like say a, a maximum of three uh characters on the field, and then you'll have like these four enemies. And then you have like one of these four enemies is like kind of like a beefy boss enemy. And it's like, okay, the, the context around it is like this uh, enemy is about to, so, uh, to self-destruct and explode and do a lot of damage to the surrounding area. Um, we need you to subdue it in one attack and if you, uh, or, or else it'll go haywire and whatnot. So now your uh, mission in the stage is like just with these three robots alone, um, defeat this enemy, this main boss enemy in one attack. And you have to kind of think about, okay, what, which robots are strong enough to do that in one attack and then you have like different like character abilities which you can upgrade or like give like skill programs to pilots where like you can have support attack or attack again and whatnot so like when you're attacking and you're adjacent to another ally they'll have an ability to like you know support and follow up your attack and whatnot it almost becomes like a puzzle game at that point exactly yeah and that's really cool because like you know modern srw design like a lot of the like it hasn't been like too challenging like because it's easy to get like like you know pretty overpowered really fast if you know what you're doing while in this one it's like it makes you think a little bit of like okay uh, like i play on expert mode and like it's been really fun because it's like it's both challenging but like not unfairly challenging it's like okay you're you're really respecting like you know random runs across the field but now in these challenge missions you're really pushed to the limit of like what how much do I upgrade like robots to like do enough damage, but I don't like incur so much of a money cost in like upgrading them? Which which like optional parts am I gonna use to like leverage like you know how am I gonna get access to their strongest attacks? Because in in the in the series, you know, everyone has like their big cool ultimate attack and whatnot, especially like you know the like the older shows that have like uh really, really like strong like attacks like Getter Beam or like the Mazinger or Great Mazinger's Thunder Break and whatnot, but in order to access these strongest attacks, uh, you don't get them like they're not immediately accessible when you deploy. You have to raise a stat on uh, pilots called morale throughout throughout the course of battle, and like you know, as they're taking damage, as they're dealing hits, as they're taking out enemies, their morale is gradually raising. But then, so like they eventually get access to their strongest attacks in the course of battle. But in these puzzle stages, they kind of need access to it right away. So there'll be like optional parts you can give them and like skills that they like learn when they level up of like of raising that morale, like uh, in the like you know in the beginning of battle, so they have access to it right away um, when you need it the most. So and then like you know there's like different like objectives for these challenge for, like missions, like you know relic restoration. You have to defend the zone if any enemies go into the zone you lose the mission and then they're all bum rushing you they're not they're not like at- they're not even like attacking you so so you can't even get a counter attacking they're just like focused on like bum rushing it as fast as they can so you have to think about like things things like that um so it's almost yeah. like you need to have like different loadouts of depending on what the objective is whether it's uh, defending a barrier or needing to take down a specific target in as few hits as possible or if it's a more standard like route 
sort of objective. I guess a lot of times whenever I'm playing a, a strategy game, whether it's Fate Tactics or the other two, we always go back to um, Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics. Um, uh, one thing that I always, whenever I have to review those or grade those, or even if I'm just thinking about how much I enjoy those, is how much variety is there? Because one of the things that I think and you can tell me after I say this whether you think Super Robot Wars does this well or not, is I don't like when a game has is packed with full of different like objectives or side missions or challenges, but you can kind of just roll out your same favorite 10 units and clear it every time and you never have to adjust your strategy because you never expected to. I mean, it, to, to some extent, like, yes, that like, you know, if you want to do like the main content and like a, a bunch of the side content, like if you just want to stick with your favorites and upgrade them to max and whatnot and just get them all out and be super crazy powerful, you can because ultimately SRW is like a celebration of like the mecha genre. You know, there, it's never like for a long while, it, it hasn't really pushed players to like make like crazy tough decisions of like, oh, I have to really think about who I want to roll out for this, even though it might be like series I don't care about or I don't like. You know, there, there might be only people who play this game and like the only things i care about is like Gridman, ray earth and code Geass, you know and i don't care about any other series you know and and the game has to cater to those people of like that you know that that they don't want to really engage in any of the other series featured yeah so for, for them this is that that's just something they they want to do because that's you know how they chose to uh, approach the game of all you know other people could be like you know what i don't want any main characters in my team i only want side characters you know so like the, the game is usually good about like if you don't want to choose like the main character of knights and magic like ernie you can use uh the the siblings addy and kid you know you can have them on their team instead of using the main character because who cares about main characters or like instead of like um camille from zeta gundam it's like okay i don't care about camille but i like fa you know so you can use fa instead of camille and just field her and not, don't have to worry about camille um, yeah, yeah, there is something to be said about having that sort of flexibility as well. I haven't done it in a while, but I would sometimes when I played those like GBA era Fire Emblem games, I would be like, uh, I'm only going to use mage units, not not for any other reason other than I want to see how that turns out. Or I only want to yeah. use pre-promoted units because I want it to be challenging. Yes, I know I could make it easier for myself by picking the best characters or whatever, but I don't want to. I just want to I want to make arbitrary decisions, whether it's like I like the design of this robot more or whatever. Uh, on a similar front, let's say um, let's say you're someone like me and I've seen a smattering of Gundams. I've seen Eureka 7. I've seen Gurren Logan. I haven't seen 90% of the other shows. Uh, would you say that if I'm a fan of strategy RPGs, like there's still enough there in Super Robot Wars 30 to be worth checking out? I think so. I mean, I it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, for a good portion of SRW's audience, you know, they're not like, they're not like people who like watch every single series and whatnot on the list. In some respects, you know, SRW is sort of a catalyst of like, man, I really like the the characters in this game. I really want to like know about like the series they're from. You know, like Elgheim, mm -hmm. for example, it's a very old mid eighties Homino show. Um, you know, but there are some like people who will like go into this game and be like, man, that like that robot Elgheim is really cool, and I really like the cast. Like, it had like this eighties crazy hairstyle uh, thing going on and whatnot, and like they're likable enough and it makes you interested. It's like, okay, I want to, I want to seek this out because I want to know more about these characters. So in that respect, like for a lot of SRW's audience, they kind of use those games as sort of like a springboard of like, 
I want to check this series out because I, I actually did that. To be honest, Josh, I actually did that with Erica Seven mm-hmm. and Super Robot Wars. See, I was like, wow, this robot's so cool with the guy a surfboard and all this mm-hmm. crap. Um, that's how I discovered the anime, actually. Yeah, you know, and that's that's it's always been the the cool thing about this series of like it's like a dual sort of a relationship where you can come into it and like know most of the series or all the series and like get a get a like appreciation of it that way like how they represented how like you know what crossover interactions they have and like you know oh that really makes a lot of sense like you know the code geass latest movie crosses over with like another series i won't spoil and like i really like you know both of those uh series and like the way that they they viewed together yeah uh was really it really spoke to me but like how chow here is like you can also come into it like knowing nothing and coming coming away with it, with it being like okay i want to check this out because that was really cool what the what that game showed it just you know kind of not a lot of series can do that you know <laughs> obviously like srw is like in this weird unique space like the closest it, it comes uh like the closest rivals really is like the g generation series uh which is like, but it's mo- that's all that's Gundam, all Gundam you know? though. Yeah, so you're really confined here. While this one branches off into um, other series, um, but it, it's interesting what they've done as well in, in thirty in terms of like battle choreography and animation. Um, you know, because I'm sure to a lot of people, even people who don't play these games, like I know a friend who's like, I don't play SRW games, but I just whenever a new one comes out, I just go on YouTube and watch the animations. You know, because that's what the series has become has been known for like just beautiful sprite work on like battle animations for like uh iconic attacks for robots you know like you know gridman's grid beam you have the the gundam's like uh beam rifle shot like the iconic like posey for it um it, it shoots um you know it it like for me like uh well, a series that came out in 2013, 2014, Majestic Prince, you know, that's, this is like its debut game for console SRW. It was like back in like, it first showed up like in the mobile game that's now defunct. But, you know, like this is like one of the series, it's like a, one of the main pillars here. And like the way this game does it justice, it's like, it's like, it's beautiful. All these attacks that they've done for this whole uh, five unit team. And it's, it's interesting because the way they've done battle choreography this time around is there's a lot of dynamic intros that play uh, instead of like the usual SRW um, enemy is facing left. Uh, um, no, your your player unit is facing left and if you, enemy unit is facing right. And they kind of have like these standby idle poses before they do the attack. So like you enter an attack and they have like this standby like stand pose and then they'll like animate into the attack uh, and do it. While in this one, a lot of units have like dynamic like intros where like I do an attack with like a majestic prince unit, like Red Five. And like his like as he enters the scene, he's entering the scene while like uh like di- flying diagonally, zigzagging through shots, like like in the middle of a battlefield before it like flies off and does its attack. So it gives it more of like a, a more active like feeling, um, instead of like just standing there and then animating to its attack. It takes a while. Well, it took a while for me to get used to it at first because this is clearly like an experiment for them leaning into this direction. Um, so, like the a byproduct of this uh, is you kind of have like these weird black transitions in the middle of combat, like when it's like switching from like 
an enemy's turn to like a player's turn, where like an enemy finishes its attack after it's like uh, uh, after it finishes its attack, it has to like do a black transition into like the player's like dynamic intro for that to play before it does its attack and whatnot. While in like older games, it like you'd have the enemy do an attack and then it'll just do a direct cut with no black transition um, into the into the unit. And then, like, there would be, like, and then it would just do its uh, standard, like, you know, attack animation from there and whatnot. So I'm I'm interested to see, you know, how they adapt that. Because clearly, I, I, I do like this direction that they're going for. Obviously, there's still some work that needs to be done to make it more fluid in that, in that transition. If you know what I mean. It's hard to, like, talk about this and, like, you know, without video and whatnot. <laughs> but, um... But basically, it sounds like they're trying to avoid having, like... A default stance that the artwork yeah. will always like go back to between like attack animations where it always seems or it might seem like too mechanical to like mm-hmm. just rigid yeah yeah so and uh, you know you'll still have you'll still have those idle stances like when you're, you're defending or evading and whatnot so you'll still see still see them there but you know it it's it's really cool it's really cool what they're what they're trying to do here they're clearly trying to like get like uh it's like the much like the Tales series where like the Tales series has a formula and like they're taking small baby steps to like kind of modernize it make it more dynamic and like more you know just something that'll like really wow the audience in the modern age um SRW is doing that too and like it's taking like you know steps to really switch it up you know and that's I, I admire that um I mean, and other than that, like it's just it's just been a, a blast to play. You know, it's I'm not gonna say that like SRW is for everyone, but it's it's a very it's a very open, accessible like series that like that you know even if it has like a beginner mode, if like you're kind of scared and you can always bump the difficulty up and down mid um, in intermission screens, like in between stages and whatnot, if it's too much for you. Um, so I know a lot of people. This is gonna be their first SRW game. Um, that's really cool to see. Um, you know, obviously take it at your own pace, play however you like, use whoever you want, and whatnot, because the game accommodates that. It's not like it's not gonna punish you for like that not picking optimally. Um and it's just like it's a it's it's a seems like a big, big game, you know. I like I said, due to the structure, um I like I have no sense of like how far I am to the game because like of this nonlinear structure. And that's kind of exciting to know. Like, I don't know how far I am in. Um, I guess one thing I want I want to bring up too before I, you know, say, send my piece about it is they also have this main original battleship for the game that's like fucking huge. It's like it spans like two kilometers wide or something. Um, you can actually like upgrade facilities of that battleship as well. So as you're playing through missions, you get this um, these things called like I think mission. Po- Points. I forgot what it was called. I think it's mission points, um, where you can upgrade like different facilities of your battleship, like communications or like the mess hall or the artillery weaponry or, um, you know, or like the engine and whatnot. And this will like do like re- different things for your, like, your entire party. So, like for example, if you upgrade communications on this um, battleship, it- it's called like. Dice or whatever. It's like it like combined like a it has like this weird like German like 
I forgot what the actual full German name of it was called, but then like cut pieces of it out and like put it together to make the name. So I'm not even going to try to remember it. I remember um, we talked about this because uh, I remember Kite was trying to, who translated a lot of the news for this, was trying to figure out like the the source of what how the name that they came up with. Yeah. And I, yeah, it's, it's weird. I don't know. That's weird. Um, so yeah, you, let's say, you, uh, upgrades communications. And as you're upgrading the communications line for this battleship, it'll upgrade, uh, the, the commander's, um, command, uh, command skill in the, on the field. And like the command skill is basically within like two to three tiles of her, um, that she'll, the give buffs to like anyone who's standing in those tiles around her. So like she'll give like plus ten percent accuracy, pl- uh, plus ten percent evasion, and whatnot. And then you can like add onto those bonuses and like expand that range of that command skill as you're filling out that command uh, line on that battleship. Or for example, if you upgrade like um, the Dry Stregger. Yep, Dry Stregger. All right, that's the name. Now I'm, now I'm trying to figure out like the the entomology the of it. Or yeah, uh, they they show it in the, in a trailer. I forgot, but I think it's like in the first trailer and whatnot. Um, it, like if you upgrade the lab, for example, which is like really valuable, you can like get more money as you like take down enemies and take and get more pilot experience as you take down enemies, and then eventually you'll unlock like an optional part that you can like equip where you can like uh cast like a, a spell on like your entire uh, uh, uh on everyone at once that gives them like these skills that uh will give them double uh money and double experience the next time they take down an enemy and whatnot and that's a good way to like kind of just grind up those organically so uh, like there's so there, there's this really cool like bit like progression mechanic in between missions of like you upgrading your ship and either like prioritizing like buffs for like your entire party or like making the ship stronger or uh, making it better so you accrue more resources resources easier. Um, so it has that dynamic to it as well. Um, and then uh, in that in this nonlinear structure, you're like choosing stages like both on like around the world. Like you can go to, like Africa. There'll be some stages in Africa, or there'll be like some stages in China, or some stages in Southeast Asia, or even in North America. And then um, and then uh, you can get uh, you can choose stages out of Earth. Like in the surrounding solar system, like be an asteroid belt uh, nearby or on Jupiter or on Mars. And then at a certain point, you can go even further like than the solar system and whatnot. It's like, all right, we're just fucking crazy now. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm really having a lot of fun with it. I'm gonna, I don't know if I'm gonna beat it this week. I'm gonna try to, um, but it seems to be a very long game. Um, it, it's, I'm scared because this game is only going get, to get bigger with its DLC packs. Um, like with the first one. Um, yeah, we, we talked Awards about that last in. week with, yeah, with yeah. Soccer Wars being the headliner of that one. Yeah, and then the, the, they recently announced uh, who's coming in the second DLC pack. Um, in the second DLC pack for Super Robot Wars 30, they announced that uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans uh, will make its uh, console debut here, and then that'll have um, Mikazuki with his Barbados Lupus Rex. Um, it'll have the Yujin Rebake Full City, the Bale and the Floros uh, from the that show. Um, they also announced the Super Robot Wars OG characters uh, coming. 
to that DLC pack as well, which is uh, Kyosuke with his Altaisen Rias and Excellent with her Ride Waste Ritter. And then those the, that, those staves will only speak to people who played the OG series uh, of these games. Um, they're essentially the the main protagonist of the first original generation game that came to Game Boy Advance, I think. Um, because in that game, you had to pick between uh, either Kyosuke or Ryusei for their for the uh, characters you wanted to choose in that game. So for people who like those characters, I really like that uh, team, the ATX team. They're going to be in the uh, DLC pack too. Um, they also announced that um, for the first time, and this is one, this one's crazy. They're bringing Ultraman to Super Robot Wars 30. I don't know if it's re- only robots anymore. They've been adding a lot more battleships and now Tokusatsu characters. So Ultraman uh, will be making his debut in DLC Pack Two. Um, this is based on the obviously Ultraman goes way back to man. I don't even know what year seventies, late seventies, early eighties. But this will be taking the designs from the recent Netflix CG anime. Google tells me 1966 TV series. Okay, wow. I was so I was almost there. So wow. <laughs> almost there. Um, yeah, this will have Ultraman uh, Seven and Ace uh, from that from there. So that's really crazy to see. So I mean, Gridman was already a stretch. It's like, oh well, I guess Gridman's kind of mechanical on the new TV anime adaptations a little bit, but Ultraman is straight up. Like, they're, they're, they're not like people in suits, like originally, like in the Netflix show adaptations, they're like in power suits, I guess. So that's, that's crazy to see. That's, yeah, when um, I'm looking at like the Netflix page for it now, and it just, I'm just thinking like Power Rangers, which of course is a silly comparison because that's all just borrowed from Super Sentai. Yep, <laughs> and, and, and then and that that's it. Like you know, Power Rangers, like Super Sentai, has shown up in Super Robo Wars with the the Cross Omega mobile game. Like they did collaborations. You saw like you know the Red Ranger in it and whatnot in stories. So is the is the of course in my stupid Western brain, like I always just think of like the the Western terms. Like is the Megazord in yep. <laughs> Super Robo Wars game? Oh, it is. Yeah, that, it, it was in the Megazord and that Cross Omega mobile game. The collaboration with it. So yes, the Megazord oh. has shown up. Um, I I don't know if they dare to try to do that for a worldwide release like that that in Transformers. Who knows? I Godspeed if they uh, try to do that because they have to go through Saban and all that. But um, I think it's still Saban that holds the copyright. I forgot. But yeah, I uh, that's uh still a lot to say about Super Wars Thirty. I'll continue to play it. I've been really enjoying it. Been really impressed. You know that it's not without its flaws. It's, it still has like usual SRW problems that, which has been always a thing. Like in SRW, where like some series are the golden children, and some series are like, yeah, you know, they're there, they're cool, but they obviously are not the focus. Like Knights and Magic here, for example, like it's their debut game, but you know they're they're pretty light on like how they represent that that series, which is sort of a bummer. But I get it. I get it. Who knows, and man? Uh, I'll probably have more to say, like you know, as I progress. And ahead of the uh, of you actually getting your hands on it, you did put together kind of a wish list of stuff that you. Now that we know that they're adding different series through DLC, and obviously there are a lot of new series are making their debuts in Super Robot Wars Thirty. You just kind of said like, if everything was on the table, what would you like to have show up in Super Robot Wars? And 
you had a very thorough list of a bunch of different sorts of properties. And the only two I'm going to call out that you put up on the site is you did put in iron-blooded orphans as something you'd like to see in Super Over Wars the day that we learned, but the day before that we learned that it was coming in the second DLC. Yeah. Um, you did also put Armored Core, which is actually a series that I've played a few games of. So I already, I'm already like thinking like, oh, that's kind of out of the out of the box because who knows when we'll ever actually see anything officially Armored Core again. So that's <laughs> that's a nice thought. <laughs> uh huh. But yeah, I yeah. just thought your 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 list was very creative, and uh, I'll be honest and say I don't know any I don't know half the IPs mentioned, but uh, there was a lot of discussion underneath it and on our um, social page for people talking about what they like to see, what they saw at the top of the list, how they would order the list. Yep, it's just a, a silly little thing that you know I'm, I'm glad people liked it and it sparked a lot of discussion and you know, um, yeah. Oh, Eureka, Eureka uh, Seven's uh, on here, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I brought that go. up with yeah, I there brought that up without without realizing that it was uh, on here. Before someone complains, I think it is technically pronounced Eureka Seven. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, that's just my um my Gringo accent. Yeah, I mean, okay, if you're just reading it. Yeah, whatever. I yeah, I I, I can't Thanks. I can't pronounce it's, like, it's it's like people who don't pronounce uh, Atelier as Atelier every time they say Atelier. You know, <laughs> that's me. Uh, I, I feel uh-huh. called out. So you know. Tomato, tomato, I guess, maybe. You brought this up in passing uh, in your discussion of Super Robot Wars. You, you, you brought about uh, how it was messing with kind of like the traditions of how it dealt with its animation. And then you compared it to the Tales series and how it's kind of also with the release of this year's Tales of Arise, trying to like identify where it wants to push and change and shift where its series has been compared to the uh, when it was back a few years ago when it was an annualized franchise and it was very formulaic and very uh, you you knew what you were getting with every entry. Obviously, we talked about Tales of Arise a lot when it released back in September. Um, I have just recently started it and I don't want to I don't want to just like rehash all of the discussions that we had back then. Uh, but I just figured I'd just take my five minutes to get my initial impression because I wanted to basically play through this because it is a major release of the year. We're really starting to look ahead to identifying what's going to end up on our end of the year list, both both of our personal lists and um, the site list for RPGsite.net. And I couldn't just leave this one unplayed because it would be kind of a big omission, I feel. My original, my take, I put in about 20 hours. I've gotten the full cast. I've kind of just now like pushing past the point where it's like we've established the roster. Uh, I've got all the six party members and I, I, the framework of the story is well established. I will just say that um, one thing that Adam brought up back when we were discussing this, and it seems very superficial, but I think it's true, is that I really just do appreciate how fluid and how modern the game feels. Uh, just in terms of like production values, in terms of art, in terms of graphics, even in terms of like sound design, because after having played uh, not all of the the games that were released between like 2010, 2015, but a handful of them and how they all felt really samey, they all felt kind of stiff. They all had like the similar limitations to see Tales of Arise kind of go past some of those, I thought was really kind of something the series needed as like a shot in the arm. I will say, though, that the story is kind of leaving me wanting in terms of like character interactions, in terms of like motivation, in terms of dialogue. When you get the last two party members, I, it just felt 
very contrived to me. Uh, I was actually streaming it on Discord, and Adam was like witnessing like my reaction in in real time, and I'm just like, "What? I don't understand this." So, anyone who's played the game, I'm talking about uh, right before you recruit Kisara and Doholim, the events that lead up to that. I just thought were very <laughs> kind of uh, uh, manual. You're gonna see another. You're gonna see oh. another bit of melodrama in the next city. Oh boy. Kind of. I'm excited for you, Brian. <laughs> it's I'm always kind of been like a gameplay over story person anyway. So like basically what I mean by that is this is not this is not how I think about games. So this is how I'm gonna describe it. Like I wouldn't dock as many points, but like I don't need it to be like a sterling, excellent, well-crafted narrative. I just need something to hold my interest. Uh, and then I'm more interested in the gameplay front, which I think Tales of Arise actually does really well. Um, I just recently unlocked like being able to access double the, num- the number of arts and um, getting a lot of real elemental play because I have like weapons or specific abilities that augment certain elements and actually using that to identify enemies that are weak or resistant to certain ones. So I'm having a lot of fun on that front. And then there was another... It just kind of feels like when I when I read like the interactions in the in the skits or between cutscenes, like a like an early high schooler's idea of what is deep or meaningful. Because there were there were times where it's like, so one of the the premise of the game is that Elfin was a slave and now he's trying to break free from that. You know, that's, break free. I think was kind of like the the way they originally worded like when they first revealed this game on wherever they revealed it, uh, and it was like what does it mean to be free? You have to make your own choices and live with the consequences. And it was just like, so like threadbare where I'm like, gee, that's, this is too deep for me. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) It just felt like there wasn't any meat to it. It just felt like, like the game thought it was more illuminating than it actually was. Uh, So that, that's unfortunate, but it doesn't really like bother me that much. It's like, I wish it was better, but it is what it is. Um, But it is, I do like, it's been a while since I played like a traditional JRPG quite like this. So it's kind of like comfort food. Like, yeah, I, I feel this. This is I'm transported to like teenage me playing Tales of the Abyss or, or whatever. Like I, there's still enough there where it's like, yeah, this is nostalgic. Yeah, this is comfort food. Uh, so I, I am enjoying that. And it, I do think that it will probably end up on my personal top 10 list, despite the shortcomings in storytelling and characterization. Uh, so yeah, I just wanted to let you know, like not everyone here on site plays every game as it's in its release window. So I'm just now making my way to Tales of Arise a month and a half later or whenever. Um, enjoying it a fair bit. It's I I wish as much effort went into improving the storytelling as improving like the presentation, but it's still I think a a solid game. It's one that I could easily recommend for fans of JRPGs. But looking forward to seeing what what further melodrama awaits me. Uh, I'll try to be. I'll try to stream it in the chat so Adam can get my reaction in real time on that one as well. I don't want to like. I don't want to double down on this topic because you know we've already discussed Tales of Arise and you know we we'll yeah, discuss more try, of that I was trying to give like year. a really high level. Right, no, I wasn't trying to like re- rehash, but yeah, I do agree though that some of the theming in the game does feel kind of like basic in terms of obviously it's like racism bad and slaves can be bad and it just uh, <laughs> it sounds okay, like they've done just, every. Every time in Tales games, though, it's like oh, they always do a few yeah, racism. It's definitely not. Like four it's games. not really race. Well, it's sort of racism in this case again, but it's just like it's it is pretty superficial in a way. I mean, obviously, it's the right message, but it's just kind of like very simple and very digestible. It's kind of like I wish there was a little bit 
a hook to more this nuance more. or something yeah so well even cool. like the premise of dual worlds or twinned worlds or duality has been used in this series like three prior times more than once <laughs> yeah, so, so, so so that's that's a little that's a little bit less about message and more just about like the setting but still that was like oh this okay. is just x from y again you know it, it, it like yeah rise just definitely feels like uh the thing it's like we just need to get this series back on track again after berseria hysteria and like you know and Berseria could really couldn't do it. So there's like it's one of those things like we just have to get this series back on track again and then we can maybe think about like more improvements to the actual legacy of the series down the line, you know. This is kind of like one of those things that's like we just want something familiar for fans while making it a good game, good playing game. Yeah, and maybe it's like they they know what their audience is. These are games built and designed for younger people, and maybe that's they don't want to break too free from that. And I'm I'm okay saying like, all right, if that's the target audience, I'm going to like stretch my expectations a bit and I'll, I'll allow it. That sounds kind of like you, you, you know, it's a uh, what was the what was the the first film in the newest trilogy of Star Wars films? The Force what? Awakens. Force Awakens. Yeah. It's the Force Awakens of Tales. <laughs> oh boy, is that the title? <laughs> no, if, if Tales of Arise was the, we we have some other more important, more relevant, more recent news topics that we're planning to get into than Tales of Arise. Uh, if but if, if that comparison had came up back in September, we should have used that. I like it. But yeah, the title, that's of, this one of, the title of this podcast is going to be Gundams Are Real. <laughs> oh, okay. They yeah. are real. Just go to Japan. Yeah, that's right. And we were hoping to ha have some other people talk about uh, Under Knots, Labyrinth of Yomi, and maybe Voice of Cards this week. But as I mentioned, uh, those are probably going to have to be put off for a week or so, depending on when we get access, depending on when the Under Knots PC release ends up coming out. And obviously, people have time to actually dig into them. Uh, so we'll see. We did get a couple other, uh, we mentioned some of these in passing uh, when we were talking about George at the top of the podcast. He's not here to discuss Guardians of the Galaxy this week, but he did write up a review for it, and we hope to hear from him next week or the week after about his uh, other thoughts. But if you want to read what he has written down for it, he did put that up on the website. Uh, it's He thought pretty highly of it. It seems like in general the game's gotten decent word of mouth, uh, but I won't put words in his mouth, so we'll see uh, either what he thinks of it when he comes on the podcast, or you can go ahead and give his review a read-through. Uh, so I was talking with George about this, and I, I edited his review, and okay. this seems to be you know not too far away from the general like takeaway that I've seen from for Guardians, but a lot of people really like the story and the character writing, in, in Guardians of the Galaxy, it seems like, um, in terms of kind of an alternate take on these characters and how they are written and how, like, the story is presented, which is, you know, that's not too dissimilar. I, th I feel like a lot of people like the campaign in Avengers as well. But this, you know, this Marvel's Guardians of the Galaxy is completely single-player linear experience. No, like, none of this, like, loot farm treadmill stuff whatever you want to call it that guardians or that uh avengers has um it does seem like you know maybe the level design and more gameplay elements of guardians of the galaxies are just kind of like good enough they're fine but it seems like the the highlight of guardians of the galaxy really is kind of the storytelling and characters which you know maybe that's exactly what people wanted uh for a game like this especially coming off of avengers so it seems like it's gotten a pretty decent reception yeah, yeah it's, uh, it's it's amazing what you know, what it'll do to a game when you're not being pushed to like 
make a games as a service game on the side. <laughs> yeah, this this game doesn't have to be a forever game. We don't have to like design it in the, in that cynical way. Uh, unfortunately, I, I will probably never play this because I have no attachment at all to Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, like I couldn't even name the characters other than the raccoon, which I don't even remember his name. Rocket. <laughs> that, that, that reminds me of like a like a, maybe like a week ago. I was trying to like I was like maybe I should get this game. And I was like talking to some friends. And I was like I couldn't remember the main character. I was like was it Star Star Killer? Star Killer. <laughs> star Killer. <laughs> and yeah, you know. I think it's Star Walker. Yeah. I don't know. I, I never no. knew about them until the their movies came out. So never even heard of the comic books. It was, it was a pretty like somewhat niche comic book line before the movies really popularized it for better or for worse. Um, I, I liked our Guardians before the movies came out. I, I think, you know, this this isn't the place to do it, but I just thought it's one of those things like, man, MCU movies really fucking killed <laughs> the comic yeah. versions of characters. Well, we saw we saw that with uh, discount Avenger comments with the Avengers game, and even yeah. then, like it just it's just kind of un- well, it's unfortunate the right word. Like any game that's built in that framework where it's Marvels, whatever, because we have we had that other XCOM like that was announced that I don't remember. Adam, you remember what that was? Because that game actually Midnight seemed pretty. Suns. Yes, like that one, I have no attachment to, but I think it's a style of game that I have just a higher affinity for. But I just, I just wonder, like all these Marvel games, it's kind of like none of them, they all kind of exist on the other's reputation, regardless if they're completely different developers or completely different styles of games, where Guardians of the Galaxy might be great, but because Avengers was so poorly received, it kind of has to overcome that reputation, even though it's like not its fault. It's just tied to the IP. It's also well, unfortunately there's like an unfortunate thing, thing too for like when Guardians was first revealed at E3 and it took up a shit ton oh, of yeah. screen E3. Oh, and like yeah. it, it rubbed people the wrong way. It's like People have very different expectations for Square Enix's E3 than what Square Enix actually brought to E3, and it was like a fucking 15 minute demo of Guardians. I was like, man, they could have like just done this with like a trailer or something. I still think it's really weird that Square Enix did not show the world ends with you at E3 at all. Like this game is coming out next month, and you're not like this is the perfect time to advertise it. Like even just from a cynical advertising standpoint, like are you going to or not? I'm not yeah, saying that that's the reason why Neo: The World Ends with You bombed, but it certainly didn't help. Uh, I feel like when it comes to like the uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and uh, Marvel's Avengers stuff that people are talking about, I think one thing to remember is that you don't really see people like being worried about Spider-Man Two or the Wolverine game that Insomniac are making. I think realistically because both uh, guardians of the galaxy and avengers were being published by square enix there is some leeway for people to worry that they're going to be traded in a similar <laughs> yeah, way because right. it's a similar publish well it's the same publisher yeah that's that that is a good point so maybe they are more tethered than i was giving them credit for but i uh, yeah but the this should be the the, sh- the guardians should be like the final game in for Square Enix and Marvel currently with their current contract. I think it was just a, a two-game type of deal with them. They're probably glad game. they're out of this contract. Yeah, I, I wonder if they'll renew it or not. I can't imagine they will, but um, who knows? Who knows? I'm looking forward to Midnight Suns. Yeah. A- yeah and I'm too. looking forward to uh, George. I just... I, I will get my enjoyment out of this game just to hear George's enjoyment of the game. I feel like... 
Like that'll be enough for me to just vicariously experience it through him. I mean, they, they, they've done a lot of like the right steps for this game, you know, like that, that is a killer playlist that they have uh, with all the licensed tracks in the game. Like that is, you know, Mm-hmm. It's great, but also, I mean, it's like, well, there is a streamer mode, so people can stream it. Yeah, I mean, like, there's none of the licensed I, music. But it's also would, like, well, I would, well, I mean, that that's obviously that's another battle that they that they can't fight. You know, that's yeah, it's I, not I, like, their fault. It's yeah, just, it's, not, it's definitely not well, their fault. And I would I would rather take this route, you know, than like not having licensed music at all. Period, because they have to cater to streamers. They did. They do have like their own original like tracks from like an original band that they made as well. So, I think that's cool. Yeah. In addition to the license stuff, I'd rather it's take a- the was it the unique soundtracks because I feel like if you're using licensed music, it doesn't feel all that original, you know. For me, it depends oh, on the setting. Yeah, the, the Guardians is like e Guardians. Even in the comics, is always has always been catered to like an '80s nostalgia. Just straight up. For like, instance, if it's a if it's a, a quasi isekai and there's like this uh, really this really brooding character, like he should listen to uh, Limp Biscuit before <laughs> <laughs> bullshit. Yeah, but before angry, he, he has he wants no part of this. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then the other, uh, so that was that was all basically a tangent from. He's got a review up on the site. Go read it if you want. There's an. Another review up on the site that I wrote, actually my first of the year, I feel like I've been slacking. Uh, I talked about it last week on the podcast. I finished Pathfinder Wrath of the Righteous. Uh, I wrote up my thoughts pretty much verbatim, if you listen to last week's podcast, up into uh, my review for that game. The The high-level summary is that I think it's an excellent uh, CRPG of that style, but brought down majorly by the number of kitchen sink type approaches in terms of like map systems, crusade systems, all that, that I feel like add nothing to the game and actually make it a worse experience. Um, One person actually already commented on the review saying that he actually thought that those things were a boon to the experience. So obviously, you know, that's a very valid opinion. I didn't think so. Uh, I still recommend it for fans of that style of RPG. Um, I don't want to rehash everything I said last week. So that's up on the site. All right, so into the news section of the podcast, and we actually have a major headline that I'm not sure any of us expected. This starting out with a anyway. banger. What? Say that again. We're starting, we're starting out with a banger. Yeah, it's like we the last couple of weeks have been like delay announcements, maybe a couple ports, a few things or more than a few things being announced for release in 2022. Uh, and there's more of those coming. Spoiler warning. But we actually have an announcement of a new game in a long running JRPG series, and that is Star Ocean, the Divine Force. So before I get into this, how many people here actually played uh, Star Ocean Integrity and Faithlessness? Has anyone here played that? Me, me, pick oh, you, me. You, you, you have played it? Woo! Yeah, I only played I, the first four. How's that? I, I played all of them except five. Uh, I have not played a single Star Ocean game. I should probably. You're lucky. That. Holy shit. Wow. None of them idea. are great. None of them are great. Yeah, not even like, two. Old, old, not even like, two. Old, I'm saying. <laughs> what? Wow. All right. All right let's, let's talk about this announcement <laughs> and then we can go into Star Ocean in general. So, yes, Star Ocean The Divine Force was announced for PlayStation 5, PlayStation 4, Xbox Series, Xbox One, and PC for next year. We got a pair of trailers, one in English, one in Japanese. 
basically giving the, the story premise and actually for an announcement trailer, a decent amount of gameplay, mainly because they're they're trying to highlight some of the things that they're basically marketing as a focus for this entry in the series. So we, we basically get introduced to a handful of characters, starting with a protagonist named Raymond. We have a secondary protagonist named Leticia, a few other characters. Uh, we The trailer doesn't do a great job of selling what the story premise actually is. It kind of gives a little bit of a sense of like rebelling against the Federation, things like that. But then uh, there was a, a PlayStation blog entry and a few, uh, I think a website also got launched that kind of basically dived down into some of the details of the premise. Um, but First of all, I guess I just want to like before we go into like the who's and what's, like what did we think of the trailer? What did we think of the art? Um, let me hand it off to Adam, I suppose, out of a hat. Uh, so I, th- one thing about like Star Ocean three, Star Ocean three was on PS two, so that was like an early three D game, so it's kind of you know acceptable or you know fine. But also Star Ocean four is that I felt like the characters kind of looked like creepy dolls. And five, I thought was a little better. I have not played five, but based on what they showed, um, I don't think like the art translates well to the 3D models. And I almost feel like it's almost worse in six than it is in five. They look kind of like it's the same artist. It's like the character design is the same person for Star Ocean five and six. The art itself, like the 2D art that he drew. It looks fine. It looks they look cool, but it, yeah, like the the yeah. character models in the game, though, especially when you compare them to like Tales of Arise, you know, or any other like modern Japanese RPG, they just kind of look kind of like they look the like character, creepy dolls. Just, okay, just, to, assign, just to assign a name really quickly, the character artist is Akira Yasuda. So just want to yeah, point Akiman. Point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, look look at like the models in the Star Ocean Anamnesis mobile game. Those. Are better than the fucking models that the, the model direction they use for the last hope and integrity and faithlessness. And now this game, I don't fucking get it. Of like, why did they just use like that art and design philosophy from that game and like put it into a, a mainline console? Maybe game? that's a SquareSoft thing, or I mean, a Square Enix thing. I mean, you know, the Final Fantasy Brave Exvius has better sprites than their than their pixel remasters. You I, know, know? I just don't get it. Like. It's hard to explain what I mean, I guess, by, like, creepy dolls. I guess it has to do with, like, maybe the shape and size of the heads and, like, how the eyes are placed on the heads or something. They just don't look like, like, the proportions are off. The porcelain dolls, yeah. Like, you don't have to really go into the detail. Just, like, just look at it. It's like, yeah... Yeah, the, the <laughs> it was actually kind of funny when this when this uh, when this uh, yeah. trailer was airing. Like, if the aesthetic didn't give it away, the character models definitely gave it away. Like, yep, this is Star Ocean. Like, I don't exactly. know if that's a good yeah. thing. Yeah, <laughs> it was funny. I was watching that PlayStation Direct. It's like, oh, Square Enix. Oh, Triace. I wonder what this could be. It's like, is it? And then one look at the like the first character shows is like, yeah, it's Star Ocean. <laughs> <laughs> All right, check. So, so the main character is Raymond. Uh, I don't remember if he got an actual age. He looks like he's like early twenties. Uh, no, very built. Ages. They didn't have ages yet. A v- very built, very muscular guy, long hair. But his face, yeah, veins. Yeah, he's, he, he's very varicose, whatever you want to call it. But uh, his, <laughs> his his face, like in the three D models, it almost looks like he's like a 14 year old kid like playing pretend like his face just seems like it's too <laughs> small or too young, and then it's attached to this like really built body. 
and it just looks really bad. And then yeah, I, 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 the main character, and I'm and I feel terrible about um, saying this. Like I look at his design, and I feel like he's going to tell me that actually the Civil War was about states' rights. <laughs> he does kind of give uh, that vibe. But uh, on the flip side, his concept art is fucking amazing. Oh my god, I love the pose in the in his concept art because it's like it goes a, a level beyond T posing. It's the A pose. He just has like that that oh man, stance, I'm ready to yeah. go. <laughs> yeah. It is so I can't get over it. It's so funny. All right, all right. Since we're talking about him, I might as well read a snippet of his bio. His name is Raymond. He's a young man from the non-federated planet of Virgold. He is a captain of a merchant vessel. So that kind of explains like his uh his history and his background, non-federated, so that kind of immediately gives that he might not have some, you know, great thoughts about the Federation and all that stuff. Uh, he does. I have to admit, I have to admit, I do not like. I played for the Star Oceans. I don't know anything of the lore. Like, what is the lore? Anyone care? Well, the uh, thing, I, the thing uh, about Star Ocean is that yeah, at least in one through four, uh, three maybe a little bit less because of its weird the way that its story ends up on three is the latest in the timeline and we know what happens in three yeah yep. it's just star ocean i remember when i played one and two when they were re-released on psp um that the setting ends up being like you're uh you know you're involved on the trade the federation but then like in the first game you you're the, the involvement ends up being very thin. You spend up like 90% of it on one planet. And then the second game, you actually play as a character from the Federation in Claude, and you still spend up like 90% of the time on two planets, if I remember right. It's there's very little like if they say it's like it's it's a mix between sci-fi and fantasy, but it's like not even it's a not an even split. It's always been like way more fantasy than sci-fi. I think four maybe maybe struck an, uh, a better balance, but then its story was also terrible. So did we actually win? Uh, I don't know. So so two points. One, it's so funny that Star Ocean is still like in this weird Street Fighter timeline where the latest in Street Fighter was Street Fighter Three Third Strike, but then like its sequels are just like oh we don't people really didn't like the new cast from. Street Fighter 3, so he sh Street Fighter 4 chronologically takes place after 2, but not yet 3, and Street Fighter 5 is still after 4, but not yet 3. Like, they don't want to, like, inch closer to that, like, you know, they don't want to go past whatever the fuck. Well, there's know? also the whole, there's also the yep. whole, like, Star Ocean mm -hmm. 3 twist that yep. affects yep. things, yep. so... And like, I how do we, how do like, like, yeah, how do we go, how do we build the you, story past this? You, you don't. You only, it's one of those things that's like, you either build past it somehow and use like the best creative minds you have on staff to somehow make it compelling or you just reboot the whole thing and say yeah the, the, the those didn't happen no no star ocean ever happened uh two uh at least we got like a decent main character named this time around of uh, we have since two because three we got fate lion god f-a-y-t uh four of course we had Star Ocean 5, we had Fidel Camus. And now we just have Raymond. Everybody loves Raymond. No. <laughs> I didn't realize they didn't have a last name, or at least not yet. I don't know. Uh, I guess none, none of the characters have surnames. So, huh. Yeah. Well, considering some of the ones they've come up with. <laughs> Oh boy! Yeah. So at least we know the. the I, know, I, I made I I made a joke that his last name is gonna be something like iconoclast. Raymond oh iconoclast. Oh shit! <laughs> something's gonna be something like that. I'm scared now. <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna go into the second character, and that's Letitia. Uh, she is basically this 
this version of Rena, Reina from the second game, yeah. where she is the uh, underdeveloped. She is the character from the underdeveloped planet that ends up running into Raymond, who is stranded on this planet of Aster Four. Uh, so she yeah, is. Yeah. By the princess. way, you were talking before about how like how these games are set up, and this game also seems to start with. Raymond crash landing on an underdeveloped planet. Like, oh, okay. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm okay, uh, with, I'm okay with that premise. I think, and like that. It, it just it, on on paper, it's it just like it feels like it's going to be the same thing. Where it's like, are we going to spend how much of the time of the game are we going to spend on this underdeveloped planet? Yeah, I guess it's worth mentioning that this game, like one of the bullet points of this game, is like they're bringing back the dual story, like how Star Ocean Two did it, where you can either mm-hmm. choose uh, Raymond or Leticia from the get go as your main character, like yeah. how Star Ocean Two did it. So. um yeah, I mean, I, I don't have a problem with that. That's kind of like a weird Star Ocean staple at this one. It's like, yeah, of course, yeah. The, of course, it's gonna be an underdeveloped planet early on. <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's just how much time will you end up spending on it? Is it gonna be like a third of the game, and then you access other planets? Because that, to me, like, if there was like an, a game in my mind that I would like to play, that would be it. Where you start off on one planet, you end up like bringing like your crew and comrades and your you know your party up to a to a spaceship, and then you and then you visit like two or three or four more as the story unfolds. But Brian, Star Ocean's- I have the game for you. I have the game for you. It's called Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> God damn it! <laughs> well, but 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 based but based on how a lot of the other games have gone, I'm totally expecting that you'll spend like the plurality of it, or like like the most game, the ma- majority of it on Aster Four. Uh, but yeah, Letitia, she seems her design is pretty unique. She wears like a full suit of armor with like a really wide kind of like dress attached to it, but you know, very very much kind of identify. Yeah, very much kind of identifying that she is a, a princess, be from not basically the um, she, she is the Reina to she's like a knight Claude. princess, yeah, like archetype. So, it seems like. So then I guess we have to get to the third character, which is Elena, who is a crew member of Raymond, and she is basically the hot one, or I guess that's the intent. Whether or not that actually comes through in the art, I think is really up to taste. I think that when you combine her design <laughs> with when you uh-huh. combine when you combine Elena's design with Star Ocean's way that they model their characters, she really just kind of looks like a real doll. Like just being <laughs> I mean, Do you do you think this is how extreme they're gonna get with the design, or are they gonna have a Fior from Star Ocean Five? If you don't remember, yeah, it's, Fior, it's not as it's not as outrageous as Fior. Like that yeah. is something. Yeah. Fior, Fior is the mage you can maybe argue that. not as unique, but still, yeah. If, Yours though the witch from Star Ocean Five that the the infamous checkerboard uh, outfit, which is very uh, a something, all right in the in the history of JRPG designs, she's uh, definitely stands out. Yeah, I think Elena's design is kind of dumb, but I get it. It's fine. I don't I understand what it's going for. But then when you compound that with the, how the models look, it just looks. I just think it looks really bad. But meh. so do all the rest of them, I guess. So part it is cool that she uses a scythe, though. That's sick. Yeah. Well, doesn't no, doesn't she? Yeah, I was saying. Oh, that oh, oh, a whip? Oh, yeah. The, the yeah. screenshot uh, I'm looking at in the PlayStation blog looks like a scythe, but whip then. And the last character is basically, uh, uh, basically the the counterpart to Elena. Who, if Elena is Raymond's close ally then Albard is Leticia's close ally. And he is basically like a prototypical medieval mage. So he gets a couple lines uh, in the trailer and a couple battle snippets. He's probably the most like straightforward and potentially boring as the other. Honestly, two. his like model is probably like the best one. Like he's the one that looks the most <laughs> closest like, to his, his character I design guess. art. Yeah, I yeah. guess. <laughs> yeah. 
you're not wrong. And I have, I have a question about here. Do you think at some point in development, Raymond and Al Bayard's uh, names were switched? And then they were like, no, we should have a main character have like a good name this time around. So they switched it to Raymond and Al Bayard. Do you think they had the... Hmm. It depends on what Raymond's last name is. If he has one. <laughs> Line God. <laughs> That'll be the twist is he's like fate's ancestor or something. <laughs> what if it is? And we just guessed it. <laughs> <laughs> so one other major component of this announcement trailer is that they did show a decent amount of both like combat gameplay and exploration gameplay. The exploration gameplay, I get what they're going for, but it almost looks I don't know how to explain this. So basically one of the tenants that they're trying to like market as a focus of this game is three dimensional traversal and exploration where everything in sight is a field for adventure. So it shows like these big wide open areas, very like, you know, blade X esque, uh, even though I don't think it looks as nice. Um, the art style is a bit muddy and it shows the characters kind of like flying around almost as if they're like in just, just the very generic Superman pose. Well, their arms are behind them, not in front of them, but it shows, so it shows the anthem like, pose. The what the pose? Anthem pose? Oh the yeah, anthem the, pose. The, the anthem pose. <laughs> yeah, the jetpack pose. But it's very like mechanical, where it's like it shows him jumping off the ledge, and then just like gets this blue aura around him, and then he just anthems around in a very straight anthems line. Around. <laughs> <laughs> and like it shows all the characters doing this. It shows Elena, not Elena. Um, well, maybe it shows her doing it too. But it shows Letitia doing this in like a futuristic city. Uh. I think the trailer might be trying to be a little bit deceptive here. It's hard to tell whether the battles are seamless or not. I don't know if the press release clarifies this. The press release does say it's seamless. Oh, it is seamless. Okay. I couldn't tell if they were doing like movie magic in the trailer or not because he shows them flying into like this toad-like enemy and then starting to fight it, which the the Star Ocean um, battle systems, at least, uh, I don't remember three that well, but I remember two and four being like, they, they, they are admittedly really fun and the reason why i played star ocean 4 to completion so i don't really yeah, have okay. any like so, the best here's direct, series. so here's directly from the press release no random encounters players will seamlessly enter battles with enemies to populate the world all right I, that, that that legitimately sound, sounds great um there's also there's a, the, wasn't the, five seamless though I, yeah it was seamless in five as well i do remember that um it's, it's weird there's this little tidbit in the press release that says you also have to to occasionally fly into waterfalls to cool your flight mechanic. Weird. Oh no! <laughs> what? It, it's a, a continuation of the anthem joke. <laughs> oh, I, I, I was about to say like that was an anthem thing. That better not show up here. <laughs> <laughs> it's. I guess it's it's kind of like uh, I don't know how to say this, but. I, I think that the battle, the seamless battle and the large vistas excite me more than the traversal specifics. The traversal, I think, actually looks really awkward. I don't know. I, I'm glad that they uh, uh, confirmed PC for this game because the the optimization in that trailer was rough, and I get it. You know, it's still it's still baking in the oven, but it's just like one of those. It's like, man, I I surely did upgrade to this expensive ass PC for Star Ocean, all right. Uh, that's actually the reason why I haven't played five yet, because I remember when five came out and I might get the timeline mi- mixed up a little bit here, but four either just came out or was soon coming out on PC. 
And then five, they were like asked about it and they were like, we'll consider putting it on PC. And I'm like, okay, I'll wait. And then it never happened. And they considered so. it. And then, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that's why I hadn't played it after, yet because I was after, waiting. After, after they sh- looked at the sales numbers, like, yeah, we sold like 100 copies. I guess we're not coming to PC then. <laughs> So would playing that on play, would playing that on a PlayStation Five help at all? It's only on PS4, right? I'm talking about integrity and faithlessness. Uh, I, I, I don't I think I don't think I don't think Starship Five apparently had a lot of problems. But I don't know if performance was necessarily the biggest one. There were definitely performance problems when you got like all your party members and there were a lot of effects <laughs> on screen. I don't know if like it seems like there was more problems. Yeah, than the, just yeah, that, yeah there's more problems. <laughs> like like you know the the game kind of ended 20 hours too early and there was no late game or no post game. So that was a problem of like cuz you know when you go to Star Ocean and you're like stop but one of the big appeals of Star Ocean is us is it really usually has a robust post game. Like you have a yeah. shitload of things to do to do. It's actually kind of that's actually I don't know how to describe this quite right, but like one appeal to to Star Ocean and kind of try Ace more in general, like their games, like Star Ocean, I wouldn't say is a great RPG series, like as a standardly constructed RPG, but they're kind of like they're fun, like RPG mechanical playgrounds. And then like the post game especially gets really involved in like there's a lot of crazy shit you can do with like the systems in place. Like, for example, in Star Ocean 2, uh, around the midpoint, the halfway point in the game, if you know how to mess with, like, the music crafting system, the, like, the, uh, there's, like, all these weird mechanics that are, like, the personal actions. Do you remember that? Yeah. And, you, like, and you can do, like, this artwork stuff and music stuff. And I, you, if you know what you're doing, you can get infinite money at, like, the midpoint in the game. And then you can, like, buy, like, ridiculous equipment. In Star Ocean 3, that crafting system is nuts that you can, like, over, oh, you can break the gate, break the game wide open if you know what you're doing. Star Ocean Four is similar. I remember creating weapons in Star Ocean Four where it's like, ha! Huh, now I have a weapon that gives me like four times money on every battle, and now I'm like rich as fuck, and it also <laughs> gives me like ten times experience <laughs> at the same time. And you can just do like really nutso stuff. With uh, the I remember like the weapon games. crafting like really ramps where a lot of games it's like this weapon gives you plus ten percent whatever attribute. Where in Star Ocean games it's like. I, I don't remember the details, but it's like you create five identical swords, meld them together, slot them with random shit from other crafts, and voila, your strength has quadrupled or something. Yeah, it's it's, it's not like it's not like crafting in most games where it's like you get a slight boost in strength. Whatever. You can like create weapons that are like this is literally five times stronger than the normal weapon you can buy at this point. Yeah, than the weapon you got out of the fun. chest in the last dungeon or whatever. Yeah, it's so it's kind of just kind of nuts the sort of stuff you can do in those games. And of course, the gameplay itself is pretty good as well. I haven't played five, so maybe it sucks in there, but. Um, yeah, it sounds like yeah, we have homework. Yeah. We have to. We have to. We can't leave Josh. I need. To, I'm gonna. I'm going to play five <laughs> before this releases. Five. I'm gonna it's try it. Uh, I gave. I give up on it showing up on PC now. So. Uh, yeah, it's. I, I still stand by like uh, Star Ocean Three Maria. If you properly kid, properly uh, properly kid her right, is like one of the most fun characters to ever play in a JRPG. Once you unlock full range mode in Star Ocean Three and like do some crazy crafting shit with her attack modifiers. Where she can just like solo all the po- post game bosses. Oh, it's so good. It's so yeah, fun. I, I know. I when I was talking about Arise very briefly, I was talking about like how I don't put that much weight on like character interactions. But I I kind of hope like please one of these characters be good. Like I don't think I've enjoyed a Star Ocean character since like what's his name the the two dragon guy Ashton. He was fun. That's in two. He's fine. Yeah, he's fun. But like Fate was boring. 
his girlfriend is boring. Edge sucks. Raimi is boring. Bacchus is boring. Lotus <laughs> is boring. Miracle sucks. Sarah sucks. Limo sucks. Uh, sucks. Uh, sucks. Uh, do, you, do you see Raymond's Chad pose in that artwork? He's going to be a great character. Uh, I hope <laughs> one, one of these characters, please be good. Please. Well, I, I assume they haven't shown the full roster yet. It's just the initial four. I, I wonder yeah. if they're gonna if they're gonna have like the what was it? I think Star Ocean Five had like up to six characters in battle. It wasn't yeah, Star Ocean Five. I think the whole cast participated in yeah. every battle. There was no reserve. So well, who knows? It sounds decent on. It sounds like kind of fun on paper, but it's just, like, it's like, <laughs> it, 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 it it could have been cool, but the rest of the game was like around it. So you know. I don't know if we ever said this game is coming to PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. Yeah, it's kind of it, everything but, yeah. but Switch. Okay. Yeah, well, it's coming to last gen as well, but it, based on what we saw in the yeah. trailer, like some of the performance issues, especially flying around that city, it was just. <laughs> I, I, I can't wait to be disappointed. Like, yeah, 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 I, 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 I kind of oh, feel yeah. like we're sounding pretty down on this, but, you know, going by recent history, can you blame us? Look. So. I'm always willing to give Tri-Ace a shot, especially Life After their Star Ocean mobile game. Well, let's see if the all the money they made on that will uh, pay off. Oh, I actually didn't realize that this was in the um, the at least in the PlayStation blog. Is that Raymond is cap- a captain of a merchant vessel? Uh, they run. They basically run into a battleship basically carrying one of the kenny family and kenny is like a major family of the federation you play as one of the characters in one i believe uh no claude claude as two. well so one and one and two one um and two so yeah there's ronix and in, in one claude yeah and two. so just like tails they're gonna try to get star ocean back on the right track yeah it's not happening we can only hope Wow, Chow, you're not we, a believer. We, we have to be. I, I, my faith is shattered since free. Okay, dang. The concept art looks nice, but I guess I can't I, remember the last time. I can't I mean, remember the last I, time. I mean, like, I art nice. art. Yeah, look at Star Ocean 5's concept art. That looked nice. Uh, when's the last time we saw a concept art and we were like, "This looks terrible." I don't think it's ever happened. <laughs> yeah, the, the concept artists are pretty fucking good. Who would have yes. thought? In a completely other, I don't know. There is no segue for this. Uh, we're going to talk about Skyrim. At least a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> I don't know how you go from that to Skyrim. All right, Skyrim. I actually think is a pretty good game, but I played it ten years ago because that's when it released. Uh, ten years later, we've already announced and discussed on a previous episode of the podcast that Skyrim Anniversary Edition is releasing in like two weeks in early November. Um, we just got a trailer. That basically details exactly what comes in the anniversary edition, what is coming free for owners of the special edition, which came out in like 2016. Um, and then as well as just other details about the Creation Club editions that are being bundled together for this version of the game. Um, the highlight is, is that the f- owners of the existing special edition will get four free packs that are also included in the anniversary edition they'll get the quest lines from saints and seducers which is basically kind of like a a mod expansion they will get the survival mode they will get fishing and they will get like uh i forget what they call it but additional like merchant interactions with khajiit um with you know unique items and rare rare weapons and things like that and then all those are also kind of 
combined into the anniversary edition, which packs in 500 other things. If you watch this trailer, they say the word content probably like two dozen times. Uh, content. Yeah. It feels very much like mid 2010s marketing, which hey, maybe that's Skyrim that checks out. So I don't know how exciting this is. I think it looks nice. It's a weird Skyrim. re-release. It's just like it's like Skyrim Special Edition plus like a paid mod bundle. Whenever right? I see a game like this, what I'm kind of first of all, I'm, I don't really have any interest in playing this just because like I've already had my Skyrim fill. I guess if you right. are like late to the party and you still really want to play Skyrim because it's going to be God knows how long until six, then this might be a really easy recommendation. But when I ever, whenever I see like a gold edition like this, or even like you even see this sometimes with just like vanilla publisher game of the year editions, where I'm wondering like you'll walk into a city in this version of the game and then all of a sudden you'll be like inundated with like a main quest line, an expansion quest line, two mods. Uh, and then like basically you'll have like all this stuff that's just kind of like souped together and you I'm won't know you. like... Yeah, so you, much content. Yeah, well, it's it's less about the volume, but more like something existed first. There, there was like a main storyline, which you might argue for Skyrim doesn't really matter. And then there was like, you know, bespoke quest lines that, you know, involve each region of the world or characters. But then on top of that, someone decided to mod in their own quest line. And then someone decided to like add a merchant. And then there's like the original gear. Like you, you don't really have a good feeling for like, what was here first what was added later um what is going to be more relevant to my like goal in the moment let's say i'm only 10 hours into the game what's something i'll have to think about way later basically when you tell me that there's over 500 unique pieces of content jammed in like does it feel basically like you're just swimming in a bunch of like stapled together different additions from different qualities of developers uh i know they all kind of go through the creation club sort of like vetting or whatever but it just feels like i don't know like how cohesive it would all end up being or if it just ends up being like kitchen sink sort of stuff again but, i guess the like the, well part of the main appeal for this is like uh since getting it's getting a console release like for people who, who probably never modded their game mm-hmm. you know that they only play on console like they can now have access to this you know and they've maybe they've never played skyrim before so now they have all this but I wonder if there's like a toggle in the menu. I forgot if there was. Like you can just like turn all that shit off and just just play that's, it without any notifications. That's actually a great question. Where it's um, the way that this trailer is framed, it basically se- seems like you get 500 pieces of content. Enjoy, have fun, go go yeah, go have fun. But I don't know if there's like toggles you can choose or it doesn't seem like it. Otherwise, I feel like they would have shown this where you can choose like what's what's active or what's not like I, I guess I have a very PC mindset where I'm thinking like of a mod manager where you you enable and disable as you please because some of them might be incompatible or, or whatever. You might just decide you don't want one. But it seems like here you kind of just get what you get. At least that's think, my impression. Do you think this will be like good to go on launch day without you don't have to, you don't have to wait for any fixes. Everything's going to be in tip top shape. No. <laughs> and not, by the way we don't know a price yet yeah yeah we still don't know a price um yeah i i guess i just don't know who this is for because either you've already played skyrim or you haven't and if you haven't well i guess i guess maybe i just answered my question this this is for people who haven't played skyrim but didn't want to in the last 10 years i don't know 
I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how well this does because there's some people who might yeah. just like buy every version of Skyrim and they've already they've already dumped in a hundred hours and they just want a new a new tool well, maybe, maybe even a hundred might be underselling it. I could maybe see like people who are more interested in just the art and craft of modding getting this game on PC just to start like messing with it just to try to like tinker basically they're not interested in the game so much but but just to tinker with it which is still just as valid so i wonder like how well this will do on pc how well this would do on consoles i'm interested in this in just kind of like a case study almost just almost like academically like how well is this going to do it's skyrim so it'll probably do very fine but if resident evil 4 can do it then surely skyrim If I had like a free extra month to dump into this, I'd play it, but I don't, so I probably won't. Uh, we did get a couple of other like smaller scale trailers for upcoming releases. Obviously, one of the big releases also coming up in November, uh, actually the very next day, is Shin Megami Tensei Five. And we've already talked about the different trailers that they've shown for this game. Uh, the Atlas has been releasing like a Demon of the Day trailer like consistently for the last several months, uh, but we got a a world in ruins trailer and i know us talking over like different snippets of game footage might be a little bit weird just go watch the trailer but i do think that this trailer uh two weeks out from release is kind of like the most comprehensive that i've seen it does a good job setting establishing the setting the tone plenty of gameplay uh it shows that it is very much not persona it is shin megami tensei 5 if you haven't played one i think watching this trailer this is again the world in ruins trailer kind of shows all of the aspects that you would expect from this game so it's it's very comprehensive and i think like if you're going to watch one this would probably be it uh, we talked about this a little bit of um, last time where they did like a kind of like a pre-trailer, a, a sneak peek teaser of new Pokemon coming to Pokemon Legends Arceus. That was the uh, the form variants for Zoroa and Zoroark. And we just got a full trailer showing them in the game. Nothing too exciting. Uh, I do think that the uh, the Zoroark, the Zoro, I can't pronounce that word name, Zoroark form that they show in Arceus is very like creepy looking. He's kind of like got white fur with like skin color. There's a reason for that. Oh, can you share or is that not allowed? I mean, they, it's not a spoiler. They've even outright said what the deal is. Um, basically, uh, the, uh, his are ghosts and they harbor a deep hatred for uh, people because they're the reason they died. Huh? Cause they're very creepy looking. So I guess that's the intent. So good job. We did also alongside, it was a pair of trailers, one for Pokemon Legend Arceus showing the Zoroa and Zoroark. Um, but we also did get a new trailer uh, showing off some characters and some gym leaders and Team Galactic from the Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl uh, remakes that are coming out also in November. I can't really muster them up muster up a ton of excitement for this it, they look there like were some Pokemon. memes about like cyrus is like supposed to be this imposing villain but like in his like chibi form he's like <laughs> he's not angry he's angry you know he's just like <laughs> he's like he's like mad but he's like not very threatening <laughs> Yeah, but this this trailer is very vanilla. It first shows like two of the gym leaders of uh, Volkner and then one of the other ones I forget the name of. Uh, and then it shows like the Team Galactic members, uh, Saturn, Jupiter, and whoever. And some Pokemon battles, which look like Pokemon battles. It's, it's fine, I guess. 
just there's nothing too too much to latch onto there. And now we'll go into uh, new release dates. And uh, do we have any delays? Uh, yeah, we do have a couple of delays. Uh, so release dates and delays. Uh, again, a lot of these are for next year, but there are a couple sneaking in for this year. And one of those is a launch date for the upcoming mobile game Tales of Luminaria. Uh, it is releasing on November 4th for iOS and Android. We did talk about oh, this game. Uh, pre- hmm? this is oh, boy. Wrong? Oh, no, no, no. I'm I so used to whatever, used whatever Josh starts talking. I'm like, crap, I just said something wrong. And he's no, you're, you're right. No, 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 you're no. right, Brian. You're yeah. never wrong. <laughs> I, I have never gotten anything wrong. On this. <laughs> I couldn't even remember Labyrinth of Yomi's full title earlier. <laughs> But yeah, we talked about Tales of Luminaria earlier about how it's uh, an original story, how it's focusing on a large roster of 21 characters. And uh, they've been going through those. Uh, well, I think they finished their, their roundup of all the different characters and all the different um, motivations. Yeah, but... they, did, they did a Q&A session like YouTube video that answered a lot of questions, valuable questions about this game. Um, obviously, if you haven't heard yet, of course, this is a gotcha game. But then people are like, what is, what's the gotcha system? Do you have to roll for characters? It's like, no, you obtain all those 21 characters by playing through the story. It launches with like seven, I think. And then they'll add a new character like weekly, uh, you know, as you play through the story and whatnot for, for them to obtain them. But the gotcha system will have costumes, weapons, and accessories for all of those 21 characters. Obviously, things to help you out, you know, deal damage in battle, you know, and whatnot. Uh, and whatever defensive things you'll get from the accessories. And then the, they also said that there's also a chance that mystic arts could be included in the costumes and arts and weapons that you pull. So uh, that's you're basically pulling for your arsenal, your attacks in the game um, through their gotcha system. Um, but, you know, the, the representative in that Q&A session, uh, I reassured that, like, you know, the content of the game won't be too difficult. You won't have to, you know, they, they want to emphasize that you won't have to, like, pay to win for this game. But we'll see how how much that ages. The big thing that uh, caught people off guard with this Q&A stream is that they confirmed that there will be no uh, Japanese voices in the English release. It will not support dual audio uh, for this uh, mobile game even though they've done it with previous mobile games and obviously with their mainline games. Um, the, the most absurd thing they said was, if you want Japanese voices in the English release, um, raise your voice uh, uh, and we'll consider it pretty much. Like, make yourself heard. If there's enough more, uh, comments to war- uh, toward adding Japanese to the English release, they'll consider it. It just... Mm-hmm. What? Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what is this? Why would you say this pre-release? Like it's. Uh, I just think uh, it's a little bit weird. Where like for a couple of reasons. One, if this was maybe like a small like boutique publisher that maybe didn't have the resources in place to like pull this off, like maybe it would be more like you know understandable. Like this is Bandai Namco. Like shouldn't you have and you have in the past like the pipeline in place to coordinate voice contracts or whatever it is to get, you know, to have, you know, languages available in various regions. 
for like a mobile game, which mobile games are played by a lot of players who are really into like Japanese games and anime and things like that. So especially the be, Tales audience too. Like, yeah, so it's like those people. Those guy. people are more like are going to be more likely to want Japanese voices. I'm not saying everyone does, but yeah. th- there's going to be certainly people that do. And so it's just kind of like it's like we know this, you're going to be angry. This feels so like a conscious how angry you are. <laughs> This, 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 this feels like a conscious omission of it rather than, you know, like we couldn't do it. I mean, I know they say in the video, like we just couldn't do it. It's kind of like, that's weird because you've been it's able like we, to. It's, it's like I, I, we like, couldn't okay, do I, it on our shoestring budget or something. I don't know. It's one, it's, it's one of those weird things where like, I was like, okay, I understand if there were hurdles, like fine. But then, then he had to like add on the fact that like, oh, but if there's enough comments to warrant adding it, uh, We'll then do. We'll, we'll consider, consider it. We'll it's consider. like that, that's the thing that really like. It's like, wait, what? <laughs> like, if you, it, it almost feels like that. Like you had like the thing. Like theoretically, you had things in place to do it, and now you're just like trying to like convince someone to let you do it. <laughs> it's like weird, very weird. Um, so I don't know it. It already seems like a shit show um, from that, the way like you know that Q and A session was handled. Um, I, I I at least admired that you know they were at least frank about it, but I don't know. Maybe I'll go check it out just to be like I ha- I have to know. But at the same time, it's like mm, it feels- one 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 part of me is like okay, this isn't a crossover game. Like if it's a crossover of existing Tales properties, like a lot of the other mobile games have involved, I've just been like not interested. And this is okay. This isn't that, but also I've I tried I tried to get into the gotcha stuff a little bit with Nier, and it really kind of burned me a bit. So I'm kind of like, eh, maybe I'll just see how other impressions are of Tales of Luminaria before You're I decide. You're asking me to do it. Just say it. Well, I'm not. I'm not asking you. To do it. I'm, I'm expecting that you already. He's telling will you to do it. it. <laughs> wow! Holy shit! If Yay. you were to come in and be like, I have no interest in this game, I'd be like, wait, what? Who are you and what have you done? <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's, just, it's just a thing that's like, it's like a, a free space on a bingo card. Like, he will try this mobile game. Yeah, he, he will at least for about a week. I expect the uh, Mobits channel on our Discord to have plenty of Tales of Luminaria discussion spearheaded by Josh. And then he Ooh, will make a decision. Dang. <laughs> dang. You know, this, this is. I, I, I mean, know. I mean, I mean this only with positive thoughts. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, me and Gotcha only positive. I, I trust you completely. Oh. If you tell me that this game is actually like really, really good, I will. I will. I will try it. Well, you, you said it now. It's it's said publicly. So hey, I, I, no, I no, no matter if it's one, good or bad. Yeah, <laughs> even if it's utter utterly shit, like Brian, it's like <laughs> so good. <laughs> uh, we haven't talked about near reincarnation in a while. Uh, I, I found that game really boring, and I haven't played it in like two months. So. Yeah, I have. I, I dropped it like maybe a month and a half ago, or maybe or a month ago. I just like I couldn't keep up with it anymore. It's become it, once a game becomes a chore for me. I'm just like, eh. I'm done. Yeah. Here's another November release. Uh, I guess it's the day before Skyrim, two days before Shin Megami Tensei Five. So November is going to be pretty packed. Uh, finally, we have a release date for Final Fantasy V Pixel Remaster. So I know I know a lot of people. Uh, in the RPG site, Discord, both on staff and uh, other general members, are have been really excited and eager and anticipating Final Fantasy V as their kind of like dark sheep favorites 
from the from that trilogy of games four five and six uh, i believe it's adam's favorite of the set i don't want to put words in his mouth though so yeah yay i got it right see never wrong uh but finally got a release Same date. Here. Final, final fantasy 5 we'll be able to replay it in pixel remaster form uh on november 10th if you've played That's the other really pixel exciting. remasters you kind of know what to expect i presume that there's some plans in place to put up some some guide content for it. I know it's an older game, but you know some people like to revisit these uh, just with some some hand holding or whatever. So you might see some of those features go up on the site. But really cool reason to uh, revisit that. Um, again, I a good Final Fantasy is coming out. Yes. Again, though, it is only on PC and mobile for now. Uh, so no movement on a console release. Just get a Steam Deck. Here's another kind of a surprising release, also coming to PC at least in Japan. Uh, and that is a PC port of The Legend of Neyuta Boundless Trails. It is releasing on December 10th for Japanese audiences. Now, this game we did talk about when Nice America basically outlined their future plans for English adaptations for outstanding games in the Kaseki series. We know we're looking ahead to the Crossbell duology starting next year uh, and then Trails in Reverie following that. <laughs> so looking out for several several years for some of those games included in that was a localization effort for the legend of the utah boundless trails but ahead of the english release that is a few years away it will also release on pc it is being released by the same company that has handled several games in the series recently and that's ph3 headed up by uh, durante so his his group always does excellent work so this will probably be a fantastic pc port and maybe James can elucidate on this, but uh, there's already an English fan translation that exists for the PSP version of the game. Is that correct? Uh, it's basically like machine translated almost. Oh, so like it isn't machine translated, but the per- um, it was like the first translation effort that the original group that did the zero translation did. So they got better as they went on. So a lot of people are like, okay, New Utah, just completely ignore it. Zero is pretty bad. It's doable, but it's pretty bad. And then Azure, even before Geofront did their patch, it's like, okay, yeah, this is not ideal, but it's okay. Yeah, it's in English. So I, I just saw some people commenting when this PC port for Japanese audience was announced, like, well, someone will put the existing fan translation on it for sure. Like, maybe, maybe they will. And the funny but- thing. The funny thing about that is, is that unlike the uh, Reverie, th- well, the Hajimari thing that happened uh, a few weeks ago, where some really, really dumb group was like, we're going to take the spreadsheet translation and insert it in the uh, the Clouded Leopard PC version. And it's like, well, of course, that's going to get DMCA'd and it like cease and desisted because, well, this game's been announced for localization. I do wonder what will happen here because it sounds like what they're going to do is that even if you're in the West, you'll be able to buy the Japanese version of Nyuta early. So you just have it before the translation patch comes in because it's the same depot. It's the same product number. And I remember we were, I remember we were kind of confused on that because we were looking at English Japanese like language listings for text and audio for the upcoming zero Azure and reverie. And then Nyuta, if I remember right, it only said Japanese for both. Despite this being yeah. in a localization announcement, we're like, wait, what does that does, what does that mean? And it's because the PC release coming in two months is a Japanese only release. So I guess they'll just update it once uh, 
the localization yeah. comes through. And again, to remind myself and the audience of dates, uh, Trails from Zero is the English official release for that is listed for fall of 2022 uh, and the rest the next year. So 2023 for English, uh, for expecting an English date for anything that's not Trails from Zero. It is. By the way, Neuta is the is the as for right now anyway spinoff, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know yeah. people are like, what What happens if they make it canon? Like after the fact, it's, it's, sure. it's whatever Kondo wants, dude. He can <laughs> at any time. He can just be like, this is canon. Yeah. Like, actually, this happened on a different continent. Like in the <laughs> well, universe. All we, all we can say right now about Neuta is is that. We can't be sure it won't be canon, so play it anyways. <laughs> I, 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 part of me is cynical, and people just like want stuff to be canon just because they're obsessed with canon. It's like, shut up, let it be. A I, 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 I do kind of agree with that. Like, it's a spinoff, so therefore it's less important. It's like, well, what if it does something really interesting with like its characters or its story? Yuta is, is awesome. I really like the the PSP game. So I mean, it's it's a fun time. Like, you I will separate from everything. I wonder if we could request a review copy of this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is really weird because this press release was sent out by Nice America themselves to promote, you know, on behalf of Falcom, the the PC in release in Japan. I like, mean, hey, it, I'm it, on a kick for like writing about Japanese trails games. <laughs> like, there's such a weird like tangled web because this is like this is separate from like the clouded leopard like ports of like Hajimari. Like this is actually handled by Durante's team themselves. Like, you know, so yeah, I saw people wondering, like, why did NIS America announce this? And they were, like, honestly, legitimately confused. And the answer to that is because they're the ones coordinating the PC port yeah. with PH3. So, so like, this is, the, yeah, this is, this is, like, this is not, like, there's a separate deal from, like, Clouded Leopard doing, right. like, the Hajimari, like, you know, PC mm -hmm. release and whatnot, because they use their own, like, internal porting. The And Hajimari, like, on Steam, it has two listings there's hajimari no kiseki which is the the asian listing and then there's trails into reverie which is the nas america listing coming in 2023 whereas this one i think it's just the one right for neyuta because there there is no clouded leopard one yeah right so, yeah yeah, yeah. So. basically you, you, i, I think actually i think actually part of the reason why nisa might be doing this is because they want to avoid a situation like what they now have of hajimari where it's like Oh, there's going to be two on Steam, basically forever. Well, so, isn't that the case with Cold Steel even now? Yeah, there's Cold like Steel the X yeah. ports and then the Clouded Leopard ports. So yeah, so if they get this out now, it's like, well, Clouded Leopard has less of a reason to push their version on Steam because it's like, well, there's already a Japanese version on Steam. Well, and it just depends on agreements too. Like that's not necessarily needs America's call more so than like did the did the, the how did the contracts. Between Falcom uh, workout between Clouded Leopard and uh, Nice America, and just like it's just it's not like more so it's more so what was agreed upon like maybe maybe Clouded Leopard's uh, like uh, contract with Falcom was like you can only do Cold Steel and like that's the the boundaries of our co our contract you know so it's it is still a weird situation people can still accidentally buy Hajimari and, and the wrong Cold Steel on Steam and be like why is it in English it's like oh well. At least you have a refund system. So, and speaking of the Kaseki series, uh, I do know that on previous podcasts, James has been talking about his experience with Kuro no Kaseki, uh, the, the most recent game in the series that does not have any official localization announcement. And if it did, it would be obviously 2024 or later. Uh, it did get a recent update for its uh, console release in Japan. 
which I, I guess I'll just let James speak to this because I don't know specifically how the game was before and after this this major update to the game. Okay, to put it as simply as possible, the game was finished, air quotes, at launch, but this is the patch that's like, okay, the game is actually finished with everything that they wanted in the game at launch. Because the content's the same, but a few cutscenes that were previously like kind of like the older static animation style from Cold Steel 1 through 4 are replaced with newer animations that are like the mocap stuff from uh, Hajimari slash Reverie. And the frame rate was doubled. So now it's up to 60 FPS. The load times are a lot better because they're already kind of iffy even on PS5. And a bunch of quality of life features were added. There was some new additions for um, quartz uh, assignments so that you can auto-insert the higher level of a specific quartz using it like an autofill. You can skip S-Craft animations and arts animations that's now. That's the big one, to be honest. On this yeah. patch, like that, that's the most important one of this patch. Yeah, like, and it, not... It, and not even that, not even just that, but they improved Van's uh, S-Craft animation. Before, it was kind of just, eh. Now it's actually really badass because they improved the animations and added a bit more flourishes. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, this this is actually really... Is that, is that, are you talking about like the one where he's like he does a lot of punches or the one in Gretel mode? The one where he does a lot of punches. The one in okay. Gretel mode was already fine, I feel like. Okay, so. okay. Uh, basically, uh, now he does kind of like a, uh, double palm, uh, like strike and then backflips to grab his, uh, stun caliber. Oh, dang. That's fucking fancy then. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, good thing I'm not early adopter. Yeah. Well, you still need to play Hajimari Chow. So no, I'm worry. skipping. I'm skipping. No, I'm no, I, I, I refuse. We, 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 we know Chow will just watch it on YouTube. That's what he does. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like, even Josh will back me up here. You're already invested in trails. If, Do if not skip Hajimari. If you're already invested in a trail storyline, you can't skip Hajimari for, for uh-huh. uh, if you want to understand anything. If you don't, if you don't want, if you're fine not understanding shit, then that's fine. If you want to take it as its own game, but uh, I'll tell already, you, already invested in, I, I beat zero before I beat the third. How's that? That's fine, to be honest. That's not a big deal. Hajimari is way more important for Kuro than the third is to zero. Yeah. There's just like entire like plot threads. You just. Okay. 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 I'll do it. And Hajimari's good, Chow. You'll you'll have a good time. Yeah. Hajimari's a pretty solid game. And you you don't have to do a guide. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Not yet, anyways. Yeah, not yet. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. I I signed up for these things, but it comes out three years later. I could just take my sweet time. But anyways, I think the most like interesting thing that they added in this patch is that there is a scene like at the very end of the game. Or so throughout the game, there's these sections where um, you'll get into Van's truck, and there will be like a montage of going like cross country or exploring and they'll have like this kind of like line showcasing where his truck's going and then there will be these like cgs showcasing what's happened at these points just kind of like a time lapse thing kind of cute uh there's a moment in the final chapter where you you do it with a specific a certain character and they don't show that in the launch version of the game it's just like kind of a fade to black 
they added in one of those sections with time lapse with the latest patch, and there's like a bunch of like new CGs, including one of a certain character eating a taco. <laughs> hmm. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, 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 damn, that's okay, damn, I should fucking. Yeah, basically, it and the the funniest thing about this is is that I I put 120 hours in this game. As soon as I fucking finish, they add in the patch that doubles the frame rate and let we skip S crafts. Yeah, dude, I don't know why you fucking go buy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's what you get anymore. Yeah, don't, don't ever buy games that much. That's the and big, then the I don't. No one cares about this, but uh, a very similar patch happened with Pathfinder, where it's like, here's our first major patch. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, right after you finish your review and done with the game. Yeah. It's, it was actually the same it's, like it's the, so, the, the curl it's update so 1.1, Pathfinder update 1.1. Like I, I waited. I did not release my review on uh not to not to usurp your conversation, but just similar sort of thing where it's like, <laughs> here's my review or here's my impressions, whether it's in a podcast form or whatever. And like we've just made it every, we've just made everything like all the all, half your complaints we've addressed. Like, damn it. Yeah, it's it's gonna be weird because like I'm obviously gonna write impressions for Kuro. I mean, kind of like Hajimari, it's going to basically be a review in all but name, which is fine. But um, it's weird because I already liked it a lot. It's my favorite Trails game now, which I never thought I'd say that, like not in a million years. And that was with the caveat of this could run better. The load times could be better. There could be some quality of life features. I would really like to be able to skip um, S-Crafts and arts animations. And it's like, well, all that's fixed. I didn't get to experience it, but I was able to hop back in and see, yeah, that is, that's the case. It's, it's running a lot smoother. The load times are better. The quality of life features work. It's like, man. Let me tell you how many times I saw Agnes summoning a meteor from orbit. And, oh my God, <laughs> that, 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 that animation just burned into my mind now. It was used so many times in my friends played that I'm like, yep. Yeah, well, I, I always play these games on PC. So like all the S crafts, like I'm used to watching them with uh, the turbo mode engaged. And I guess the turbo mode, I think, on some of the releases now comes at least on the Nice America releases comes on the console versions, uh, maybe. But whenever I have to watch them at like normal speed, I'm like, why? Yep. why is it so slow? There was no there was no turbo mode here. So it was all at regular speed. I will say uh, this, though, and maybe this will sound weird, but I feel like especially Cold Steel 1 through 4, when you saw your character's attack without turbo mode, it felt like it was way too slow. Like, it didn't yep. feel like there was any weight behind it. But I do feel like Hero has been better about that in the sense that even without turbo being in the game, the attack animations feel better. I'm not yeah, sure if good. Josh gets what I mean. They're, 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 they're more impactful, for sure. Yeah. yeah. There's like a bit of weight behind them. And now we're going to go on to a few delays and uh, announcements for release dates for next year. Uh, the first one was one that we basically was already all but confirmed, and that is that Digimon Survive is officially delayed to next year. We already had kind of knew this from Toy Animation Financials from earlier this summer, uh, but now this is from the horse's mouth, from Bandai Namco's mouth. So Digimon Survive was originally scheduled for, what, 2018? Uh clearly having a bit of a troubled development i think we're all in the same boat where we're going to be saying take your time do what you need to it's officially been delayed to uh to 2022 so they're using that to enhance they're using the extra time to enhance the quality of the game the development team is working as hard as they can they ask for our patience 
So uh, is it going to be like Fire Emblem or Final Fantasy Tactics? I understand what you're referencing, but I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's a strategy. You're talking about how all strategy RPGs <laughs> oh, okay. are one either that or the other. They're clearly uh, they're clearly delaying it to make it more like Super Robot Wars 30. Ooh, okay, yeah. all right. I'm uh, you take all the time you need. I don't care if it's a 2030 <laughs> then. Yep. So uh, nothing really much more to say here. We've uh, you could probably dial back 12 months and hear us talking about the delay into 2021. <laughs> uh, so yeah, take your time, team at uh, Bandit Name Co. So we we will be patient. Uh, a couple other releases. Uh, here's another one that is releasing in January, which is a month that we kind of have identified as maybe a potentially very thin month, a, a backlog month. Uh, but Weird West, which is a game from Devolver, Di- Devolver Digital and Wolf Eye Studios, will release on January 11th, 2022 for PlayStation 4, Xbox One, and PC. This is an isometric RPG that reminds me actually a lot of the marketing from Wasteland, only with more of a clearly like American West setting. If you remember the talk about Wasteland 3, it was like, I thought the marketing of that was like really dry and uninteresting, but I ended up liking the game. And so here I'm kind of in the same boat where I look at this trailer for Weird West and I'm like, this looks really dry and uninteresting, but maybe I just got to bite the bullet in January and try it. And maybe there's something really neat underneath. So I kind of, uh, I, kinda, I th- look, I'm a, I'm a sucker for Western games. So it having like kind of like this weird, like supernatural take on the wild West really makes me interested just in the, in the setting. I don't know how the actual game's going to play out, but it, th- that alone is like, okay, all right. It, it, I need to like refresh myself on what exact how exactly the game works, but um, you have like five different characters and you pick one, and it's something like if you die as one of those characters, you like will swap to a different one, or you. I need to double check. It's something like that. And how the, there's like multiple characters and how they interact is kind of weird. Yeah, it's a like we'll one of the bullet points like in the key features is like discover the world through the origin stories of different characters moving from one character's journey to the next all until they all converge in a final chapter so it's sort of like a live a life i guess <laughs> um and i guess octopath to a certain extent even though that final thing was like super missable and not really you know yeah it, the gameplay well. doesn't really seem like wasteland 3 but the just the art style and the ui and the perspective just really gives me wasteland 3 vibes maybe i'm like that crappy tweet where it's like i get boss baby vibes from this from this movie because i haven't seen anything (laughs) else but uh like i played wasteland 3 uh not too long ago and i guess that's what i constantly my brain just keeps going to when i see like how the how the menus look on this how the combat looks it's not it's not quite so xcom it's not it looks like it takes place more in real time but depending on how january looks and whether or not i'm using that time to play something like skyrim or cold seal 4 uh maybe maybe i'll slot some space for this just to be adventurous and even though the marketing i think is kind of dry uh maybe there's a diamond in the rough here here's another release for february and that is maglum lord so we talked about this game as it led up to the release earlier this year in japan uh it released in japan this march Uh, it's releasing for us in the west on february 4th 2022 for uh switch and ps4 Basically, this seems like a JRPG slash dating sim sort of game with the big hook being that you are a demon lord and you are the last of your kind. So you need to uh, find a partner in order to preserve your demon race. That's effectively what I'm getting from the P-Cube trailer for the uh, localization announcement. So 
kind of a fun concept. Not sure it's one that I'm personally interested in, but it's something different, something unique. Uh, I'm not sure if anyone here had a lot of interest in the Japanese release or in the upcoming uh, localized release, but it'll be for early next February. All I remember about the footage of it, gameplay footage, is like the battles look like they take place like on a horizontal 2D plane, like really old Tales games. It's like, so this this series is basically like, or this game I should say is basically not Summon Knight. It's got the Summon Knight writer. It's developed by Felistella, who made Summon Knight Five, not Six though. Um, it's got the same kind of gameplay concept, or I should say, game concept as Summon Knight. And then the gameplay looks like the Swordcraft story games, which are the Summon Knight GBA spinoffs, which is the side scroller action RPG thing. So. It feels like that's kind of what this is meant to be. Like, no one's making Summon Knight right now, so we're gonna make not Summon Knight. I do I like that, how one of the, how one of the bullets here is twenty plus DLC packs with contents from franchises wow. such, such as the Tales of series. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah. I'm just like that's a weird thing to market, but sure. I, I, the game, the game itself, I almost feel like it doesn't like to show this, but the game itself has this sort of like chibi, like models art style. And I don't know. <laughs> and the one thing that's kind of interesting, or I thought it was weird about the way that the, the trailer is formed, is like it's showing all the different characters because you're you're supposed to try to find one that you're like building relationships with the dating sim elements. And it like pans over like the characters' chests for some reason in this art. Uh-huh. And it, it's just like, it's that's just, that's the most appealing part, right? Yeah, but whether it's, whether it's yeah, yeah, either gender, what regardless of what they're wearing, it's just like here's their here's a here's a little this is what their face looks like, and here's what their chest looks like. It's like okay, these are the two most important <laughs> factors you. apparently in my dating decisions. Um, I, 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 I love I love the character design that is like this old uh, demon dude in a Hawaiian shirt with a necklace <laughs> saying marriage. He's apparently like the he's apparently the hitch guy, you know, just like I will help you with your relationships. <laughs> so okay. Yeah, it um, seems like a fun concept. Game. Well we'll we'll see if uh uh I don't know what our coverage plans are, but uh we'll we'll see if we can can get one of our writers interested to cover that in February. Uh, a couple other other news bits to round out the end of the cast. Uh we do have a sales update for a game that I brought up previously here on this podcast, that's Tales of Arise. It celebrates its 1.5 million sales milestone. Pretty big milestone for the series. It's quickly climbing the ranks. Isn't the cap like Vesperia at two point something million? What's the what's the high water mark? Uh, I need to look this up. <laughs> yeah, I forgot <laughs> already. But I, I know like Symphonia is the best in the West. I, I remember I, I remember from this news bit is like since the they use uh Rinveld and Law to uh to commemorate the 1.5 million, I think they said they'll have a new artwork for Dohalim and Kisara if they reach, I think, like two million. I think I forgot about what they they said well, exactly. Well, I think All we got those. the we got the Alf and Shion at one million, and we got the the Law Rinwell 1.5. So even if they didn't say it outright, they they're they're the, but obviously they're trying to incentivize sales. They're like, if you really want new artwork for them. Wow, yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of sales to get. Uh, just buy nine other copies if you already have the same one. Come on, but yeah. Sal. I think we kind of all predicted that um, this would be the best-selling game. It seems like it's well on its way. It's not quite there yet. It didn't immediately blow the lids off, but uh, it looks like Vesperia topped out at two point eight million. So I yeah, it seems like that two point eight made is the highest in the series, and that's including like the, the original remaster. release and the remaster altogether. 
So that might so, not be a complete one to one. So it's like not really fair because it's gotten multiple versions. So yeah, but still that's the top. That's the higher watermark at the moment. It's okay, but they really when they re-release Arise like in seven years, then it can compete. Yep. And the last uh, piece of news that we have is that longtime Atlas composer Soji Maguro is leaving to become an independent contractor, who will still work with the company uh, upon that decision. So it already happened. Uh, yeah, it already happened. End of September. Oh, okay, so he will. St- so he's a freelancer now. He will be working with Atlas for their future projects. And some of those, this is the date that I was thinking of. Some of those future projects will be announced on November sixth. Um, I can't think of a specific example, but I do know that I've seen other composers basically take the same route, where they no longer work for underneath one specific developer or publisher, but they'll just go freelance and then just contract back to the same publisher. So I don't know common. Much... Like Shimamura is not a Square Enix employee, for instance, and neither is like Kenji Ito. Yeah. So... Uh, also like composers like Yuki Kajura now, like after the fallout of Califina, I think she's freelancing these days. Sakamoto, even though he doesn't do much composing himself anymore, his company does. The, 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 the coolest thing about this is uh, Riguro is do- going under the Sweden in me- uh, Mega Rock now. <laughs> Mega Rock. Hell yeah. It's kind of funny. Uh, I guess this is a t- this shows you like my tastes both in music and in games. Like when I think of Maguro, I still think of like Digital Devil Saga. Me too. Everyone's thinking like Persona, and I'm like Digital Devil Saga guys. What about that? <laughs> I, I think of like the fucking grungy like lone guitar string type of uh, approach that Maguro does in those games. Mm-hmm. Oh, like the really low key ones. One thing uh, I did think that was interesting from this announcement is that it was made from or originally from atlas themselves which i thought was just kind of like at least my my reading of it is that that's really like a sign of respect like they didn't have to do that but they did so i just thought that that was you know just kind of a cool footnote for how this announcement came to be it wasn't announced from maguro or from like who how is you know his freelance framework but from atlas saying that they're still planning to work with him in the future but he is going to be a freelancer so he's been with atlas Uh, since 1995 yeah it's been a long time um, I that's awesome that we'll get to hear more Maguro stuff outside of the Atlas scope, though. Like, he is such a talented composer. Like, has... Maguro compose a Square Enix game. Do it, <laughs> dude. What if he What if he collabs with like someone like Okabe for a game? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but oh, here, just, just because, just because I three. think this, just because I, I think this context <laughs> is good, I'm gonna read a little bit from Maguro's statement. I won't read the whole thing. Yeah. But he said, uh, I decided to leave Atlas and focus on my dreams of de- developing indie games. However, I will continue to maintain a good relationship with Atlas. While I'm focusing on my own indie game development, I will continue to work with Atlas on my game music. So I hope those of you who are concerned about the sudden announcement will feel relieved. So it sounds like in terms of like, if you really enjoy Maguro's work in the places that his work currently is, like that, like the status quo doesn't seem to be shifting that much, which is, I think, something that we've seen with other composers as they've gone freelance like this is a very niche example but something similar happened with arena net where they did come they did have a couple composers that were under their employ who then left the company but would just come back to freelance for them anyway and basically meant nothing changed uh at least you know in terms of the output that we would receive so hopefully it ends up being kind of the same thing here with the additional boon that you get to see uh work on independent projects or potentially for other publishers so uh the sky's the limit yeah it's the luck you know, the dude deserves all, all the praise he can. Like it's he, he's he's earned it. Mm-hmm. 
And that covers us for uh, this episode of the podcast. So uh, our two major talks were about Super Robot Wars and the unexpected Star Ocean sequel announcement. I don't know if you ever said this during Star Ocean, but in Japan, it is still officially titled Star Ocean 6. But they just just similar to Star Ocean 5 and similar to like Yakuza series, they've just decided to, to drop the numbering here. Uh, for the I think release. Western players are just way more, probably just more concerned. Like, can I start with this? If it's called six, then I can't. Yeah, I wonder like how how people take to like Super Robot Wars thirty. You know, when they see the number, it's like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, you got to play the twenty nine <laughs> other games first. Yeah, I'm sorry, <laughs> this is how it is. Yep, and we got the two reviews up on the site: one for Guardians of the Galaxy and one for uh, my Pathfinder review from earlier this week. We'll have a couple more coming up in the upcoming weeks. We have some uh, team members on staff that are currently in the, you know, in the process of getting some other reviews ready for you guys. Uh, we do also have Josh's fun little like what if list for future Super Robot Wars games. Uh, all the news about all the dates we do try to keep up to date in our our game database, as well as our RPG lists for 2021 and 2022 that Adam keeps up to date on. And all the other news, of course, obviously is all up on the site. You can join our Discord by going to rpgsite.net and uh, clicking on the link at the top of the homepage. I think it also is just discord.gg slash RPG site. Uh, we also are, are on all the social media platforms. So search for RPG site on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube, and we'll be there. And we'll be back. We will be back next week with another edition of this podcast. So thank you so much for listening. Until next week, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you then. Endems are real. <laughs>